Hello and welcome to another United podcast. Uh, I'm Sam Howard and as always joined by my co-host David May and Helen Evans. Hello. How are you doing? Maisie, you right? <laughs> you, yeah. will t- you will talk. Um, today's guest is someone we all know very, very well because he does lots of work with us on MUTV. You should also be aware quickly, we are currently sat in the Warwick suite at Old Trafford. We're sat on a sort of long brown table, like um, it's like a business like a business conference or something, isn't it? Because we're all separated on this long table. Um, and occasionally... We all work on TV and football. Stop trying yeah. to make yourself sound... Yeah. Businessy. Businessy, Business Sam. Yeah, I could buy a briefcase. Um, every now and again, you might hear the train rumbling along behind us. Um, we've heard it a couple of times, so just be warned that might come up. Um, how is everybody? All fine, thank you. All good. Times are tough now, though, aren't we? Aren't they, now that we're back? Times are tough. It's the not government easy. has locked us down again. There it is. It's tough. Yeah. Stick together. Well, exactly. Got to stick together. It's, do you know what? Doing these, getting out of the house mm-hmm. is really good. Well, that's it. And then I think, um, obviously, everybody's in this situation. So hopefully we'll have a good chat with Danny and some people that are listening will, will be able to take their minds off the, the more difficult aspects of life at the moment and we'll give them something else Get to think about. Get out for a walk and listen yeah. to the podcast, which is coming up. I got Helen, a tweet from a guy the other day. Brilliant idea. Yeah, he walks you. his dog Thank and you, listens. Maybe. And um, he was walking along crying, listening to Mickey Thomas. Because he was loving it. It's and good. also it was sad, but it's, it's but a nice But we do, I've said that, before, I think I said in the last, oh, yeah. a couple ago, you need to get out and get fresh air because it's mm-hmm. really yeah. hard being in the house just all the time. Speaking of, so speaking of fresh is... air, do you remember on MUTV the other day when you called me Simon? It's got nothing to do with fresh air. I just wanted to bring it up. Do you know what? It's actually become a joke, but it's so embedded in my head that I often do think that you're called Simon. Which isn't my name. And do you know what else I'm just going to say, which I think I did admit off air to someone the other day. I'm not sure whether it was you, which could now be a little bit awkward. Um, I thought for like a year you were called Sam. I am called Homeward. Sam. What? Oh, this wasn't you. I had the Home conversation word. with. It was, like a, it was Tasker. Like a word? <laughs> yeah, so I thought your name was Sam Homeward. Like Homeward bound. Right. Oh, Homeward, I suppose. So People spell it very differently. So your alter ego is now yeah. Simon Homeward instead of Sam Homewood. That's fine. But I did call you Simon on air. You did. We can hear it. This is it. Okay, that's it from us, us for now. Sorry, in the studio. Let's hear what Simon and Lee have to say about it all. Thank you very much, Helen. Uh, Sam will do. Simon's Simon. fine, though. <laughs> We're not on the podcast now. Simon. If you've seen the podcast, you'll get the joke. It's fine. It was started by Gordon Hill. He got my name wrong. It's absolutely fine. I can cope with it. I haven't got a huge ego, but my name actually is Sam. I'm going to stop now. I promise I'll stop. Sorry, Sam. There do you know go. what? I actually didn't even realise it called Simon you Simon Homewood. until the producer started laughing in my ear when mm-hmm. I handed it back to you. Yeah. I am sorry. That's okay. Don't worry. I would never do that intentionally. No. <laughs> I would. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and obviously, we already mentioned that Danny also joins us a lot on MUTV. Maisie, fond memories of Danny? Yeah, young whippersnapper coming into the uh, United Youth and then through to the Reses, a few games in the first team. And as you say, now uh, a family member of MUTV. Mm-hmm. Good does lad. It, He's a great lad. Yeah, he does a lot, doesn't he? He does MUTV. He's a football agent. Yeah. Yeah. Loves uh, a Wagamamas. Loves a Wagamamas. And a Wagamama. Nan- Nando's. Yeah, up there with his agency work, I would have thought. <laughs> he probably does opens with that when he meets people. What say, "What are you up to, Danny?" Probably opens with that. <laughs> That's what I associate with Danny well, Weber. He loves Wagamamas and Nando's. Well, what, I, t- I tell you one thing about Danny. Um, so much as he didn't quite make his career at United because of a few injuries, and um, obviously the, the lads who were in front of him, Coley, Yorkie, Teddy, Ollie, Scolzi, he went on to make a really good career for himself. Mm-hmm. Sheffield United, Watford, 
It's uh, it's going to be a good uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hear from the man himself, shall we? Here he is, Mr. Daniel Weber. Danny Weber, thank you for that clap, Maisie. Yes. Getting us started. Oh, yeah. Danny Weber, welcome to our podcast. Lovely to be here. Lovely to have you. How are you? I'm very well, Helena. Can't complain, thank you. We have seen you over the last few months, obviously, but tell us how lockdown has been for you over the past nearly year now. Oh, it's been, um, how can I put it, probably like everybody, it's just been turmoil. It's been turmoil, you know, you're trying to... Balance, get get the balance right. You know, first and foremost, you you know you got to look after your children. That's that's for me the the prerequisite. But then after that, you've you know you got to look after yourself. You got to look after the the extensive family. You got to try and keep keep life ticking as normal as possible. So I probably say I've fared a lot better than some people, but it's not been easy. I think has having football on helped you something to look forward to at the weekends, I suppose, and midweek. It has, yeah. I think that's that's been, obviously, the first three months we didn't have any, did we? So that was almost like everything's been stripped away. Mm-hmm. Didn't even have the bit of entertainment on the TV. Got sick of watching um, the old games. Like, that got to a point where it's like, enough. Is that what you were doing? Well, that's that was all it was on, wasn't it? The only, like, little dose of football that you, that you got was, like, a, a game from back in the day. That, um, But, no, since it's come back, it's been good because we've been fortunate enough to come to Old Trafford be involved in watch games and work and interact on that level. Um, and then the other, you know, the other side of what I do as well, it's enabled me to to continue working there as well. So I've been fortunate. Talking of other sides, what else do you do? I do, I've, I run an agency, Maisie. You might as well get the name in there, which one? Yeah, Autograph Sports. Autograph Sports. Autograph Sports Management. Any kids out there, aspiring kids? Good, good kids, good characters. Yeah, you know, got to be. Got yeah. good I'm choosing. If you're rubbish, don't get in touch. Yeah. There's Sa- no point. Don't Simon, waste Danny's time. Simon, that ruled you out. <laughs> Try, I hadn't thought of that. It might be finally my way in. No, you'd be all right. Thank you, Macy. What does that entail then on a day to day basis, Danny? Just sort of basically represent players, help clubs, um, especially at the moment because clubs haven't got like the recruitment teams in place, most have furloughed the staff or got rid of staff. So you've got to help with, you know, using your network, helping clubs recruit. Um, but main, mainly helping players. You know, there's a, there's a big, there's a load of players and obviously you're talking sort of, don't know the exact numbers, but to the lads who make it, who make the debuts, um, to then go on and have a career is one of the hardest things to do. And you, you go through the system of having to believe you're going to do it and you know mentally you've got to believe you're going to do it taking most of your childhood away and and then all of a sudden it's like well it gets really difficult once you get 17 18 19 to get through a first team and then it's you know we've seen lads obviously recently a lad from city committed suicide and things like that so i always look at it and think well how can you be how can you help the lads all together as opposed to just being an agent who goes in and does a deal so that no matter what where they go they come out of it as a better person. And I think that's something I always took from, you know, Sir Alex used to say that and people like Paul McGuinness and um, when you leave Man United, you come back, you come out of it as a better person, regardless of whether you make it or you don't. And I try and make sure that I push the lads as hard as I can, get as much as they, they can out of them, that the message is consistent with the football club that they play for. So we have a lot of dialogue with the coaches and with the, with the, the sort of... Um, the relevant people at those clubs and just make sure the lads have an, have an idea because it's dead, they're dead easy distracted and I just think you know at first I didn't want to do it it's the last thing I wanted to do be an agent it's got the people like well, you know why don't you be an agent no chance absolutely no chance 
And then certain people said, well, we prefer you do it than certain other people that do it. And when I look at it, I looked across, I looked for two years and I was watching the way people operate. And I thought, there's probably the stigma attached to agent, agents is right in some senses, but to a certain percent. And there's probably 20% of the agents out there that are very good. They do look after the boys, good, bad and indifferent. And I think that's the test of someone. If somebody stands beside you when you're having a, a nightmare in your life as well, then I think that, you know, they're, they're the good people and they can maximise every side of every side of your career. And I think because we've been through it, we understand how quickly it goes. Mm -hmm. People used to say to me at 18, 19, oh, I'll be gone before you know it. And you think, I'm not even started. And I think that's that's important. And that's why, that's why I do why I do. Did you have an do. agent when you were playing down? I had a few, mate, yeah. I had a few. A few? Yeah. Um, the, first, the first one I had was a good guy. He used to, he worked for Adidas. So when I went and did a deal at Adidas, he left Adidas and became an agent. Really good guy, heart in the right place. Um, but then I realised after every game, while I was I was at Watford on loan, and after every game, he was telling me the same thing. Oh, you're brilliant, you're brilliant, mm. you're brilliant. And we all know that's not the case. It's never the case. And I just wanted somebody who would just tell me the truth. Tell me, you know, tell me how it was. And eventually, I was playing in the championship and I was top scorer. And I just said, is there any chance you can get me a pair of boots? And he couldn't get me a pair of boots. And I just thought, you need a little bit more alongside me at that time, but you know, genuinely good guy, didn't have any issues. And then as I was sort of thinking about leaving him, I got introduced and this is where it was one of the 80%. So I got introduced to a guy and he came and met me at Watford Hilton. And he said, listen, I'd love to look after you. Um, if you're going to leave your agent, then, you know, I'll represent you, blah, blah, blah. Businessman. So we sit for an hour at the end of it. I said, well, I'll let you know. I'll speak to my agent. I'll let you know what I'm going to do. And he went, well, I'll tell you what you do. Pull the contract out of his bag. He said, sign this blank contract. He said, there's no date on it, nothing. He said, but if you, if you decide to leave him, then it kicks into play. He said, if you don't decide to, <clears throat> mad. He said, if you don't, if you don't, give me a call. He said, and I'll rip it up and I wish you all the best. So I thought, to be honest, I'll do it on the spot. So I did, I signed old. it. It's 22. It's 22. Um, I signed it. Then spoke to my agency at the time, decided I'd stay with them, rang him and he said, yeah, no problem. You know, wish you all the best. So I think that's yeah. life kicks on. I then get a move to Sheffield United. I get a bill through, I get an invoice through the door. I'm thinking, no. I don't know, what's this? Get an invoice through the door for about 50K. And I'm like, 50 grand, like 50 grand invoice for this guy. So I rang him and you've got all, all sorts going through your mind at the time. He's thinking... How do you deal with this? You want to go knock on his door? Yeah, you want to go yeah, yeah. find him? That's your gut instinct to go and find him and say, you winding me up or what? Speak to my agent. He said, well, you're going to have to deal with this through lit litigation. So we end up getting lawyers in. I told him I'm not paying him. He said, well, you are paying me. I said, well, I'm not paying you. And we are paying you. Go through that for a little bit. Get the lawyers in. Starts to cost money. Um, got to the point where the lawyer said, listen, we can continue to go down this road, but it's going to cost you more than you having to pay mm -hmm. the 50K. So we suggest you do a deal with the guy. And I said, but I don't owe him any money. It's like you can only have one agent represent you. And it can be that can be registered with the FA. So in the footballing world, under the football jurisdiction, I he had didn't have a leg to stand on. Mm. But he said, take it out of football into, you know, any you're under under sort of contract law, then you have a problem because you signed a piece of paper with somebody. So he said, 
is it worth going down that road? No, because it's going to cost you way more than you're going to have to pay. So we came, we had to come to a deal with him that I had to pay the guy and I paid my, my legal fees. Oh. And at that point I thought, flipping heck, like, and you realise at that moment, you're not from a background that's educated in mm. this kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's what... Is he still in the game, this guy? <sighs> he's, still in, he's still in the game. Not as an, not as an agent, but I would just think karma, you know, my path will cross with him at some point. Um, but they're, they're the sort of learning curves when you don't come from a background that's educated in those kind of mm-hmm. things. You're not educated in The majority in money. of people don't in football probably don't come from a background because it's all law, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Also, at 22, you're very, very young. Like, you're not an adult. I mean, legally, you're an adult, but mm. if someone someone who you think is the authority in a situation says this is this is straightforward, you just assume, yeah, of course. Why would you question it? Yeah, I think, and I think that's 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 the hard part, mm. you know. But at 22 in in football, you're actually not really young because you yeah. leave school at 16 yeah. and you're in a man's environment straight away, and you have to grow up really quickly. So at 22, you kind of hope that you've got the right people around you, or you've learned enough to know not to do those kind of things. I now know to read everything that's put in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where my lesson was in it. But yeah, I just think that there's, if you get the right people around you and the right people do good, do well by you, then you're all right. But I learned the hard way. Does it bother you that, I mean, we should get onto your story soon, but I'll ask one more mm. question because it's interesting. And I think people are in, I think people really are interested in the agent side of football because especially over the last few years, they've really become sort of pantomime villains yeah. in the world of football in terms of transfers. And there's a lot of um, speculation about the amount of control that agents have over players mm-hmm. and the amount of money they earn in, in the transfers and stuff. Does it bother you that that is the more public perception of an agent? It did at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It did because what what I noticed is that people I'd known for years, people that you'd know and they'd, oh, Webs, how are you? And you'd be very familiar with them. You'd say, what are you up to now? And you say, you're an agent. And you'd see people physically remove themselves from you mm. purely because of the title. And you think, I've known you for 25 years yeah. or 20 years or whatever. And they'd rewarm to you. But the, the whole word of agent and the stigma attached to it, it divides a divider. And, you know, they do get a bad rap agency and anything get a bad rap, estate agents or whatever it is, you, you, they get a bad rap because you're the middle man and you, you're almost seen as taking out. Mm-hmm. Then I, I got it, got my head around it and you justify it because I just think, well, you're adding value. If you don't add value, you don't mm-hmm. get paid. You know, there's certain young players that you, you do work for for three or four years and you don't get paid at all. You're actually at a deficit because of the time, mm-hmm. your, the effort, you know, the everything you put into it. And if you do it the right way, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a balance to it, but... You know, you have to invest in young people. And I just and think that's right. And also I think people, like you're saying, people want to distance themselves from an agent. Mm-hmm. But if there's not people like you who want to do the right thing and go into agency, then it's just going to continue the way it is. Of course it change is. And mm-hmm. no, you, good people going in. You're right, Helen. And, and I think that's it. You just think every, everywhere, you've got to get the gloves on for people at times. Whether you're, you know, a lad might have one contract. He might set him up in a in a house for the rest to set off his career and doing something else. Um, so there is a time when you've got to put the gloves on. You've got to go and you know be able to speak in the boardroom and have be eloquent enough and be able to have done your background and your research and your you have a knowledge of the of the game, and then go and back back your player. But it's, it's you know there's certain people who will go in there and just argue for the sake of arguing, and it's not what it's about. It's about going in there and maximising. This is the reason why. Making sure incentives are in there for the players so that they can achieve. Mm. Not just the case of here's a load of money, now go and deal with that. You know, it's a case of if you achieve, you know, so Alex used to do it, he'd reward you with two or three contracts if you'd achieved. But as long as you've got it down in, down in paper, um, <laughs> I say I laugh because of my first contract yeah. here. <laughs> um, as long as you've got it down on paper, then, you know, 
and it's there to achieve, then the job's done. Maybe you need to come up with a new job title then. You know what? Everyone's creative. Football advisor. Facilitator. Advise, yeah. <laughs> They're all words that people be yeah. creative with, but it ultimately comes back to who's your agent. Yeah. That's, what that's, yeah. that's it. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, football is massively global. So I suppose mm. being an agent takes you over the place, but you do stuff in Colombia too, right? I do, yeah. I do stuff in, in Colombia. Um, we've got a project out there called Puerto Pro. So it's in a place called um, Cauca, which is Cali. Mm-hmm. It's where you've got Zapata, uh, Davinson Sanchez, Yeri Mina. They all come from that region. So there's like 60% of all their professional players come from this region, but it's only small. It's like Manchester size. It's like an old slave region. So really tough, really hard kids, you know, but good, good talent, just want an opportunity and need an opportunity. So a friend of mine set up an academy there. He's an agent as well, but he said, I'm going to reinvest in where he's from, set up an academy and we go out there and he sort of puts, put everything in a European wrapper because clubs over in Europe can't go over there and operate. They don't understand how it works. Mm -hmm. It's noisy to say the least. So yeah, we try and present opportunities. We've taken a few lads to Europe now. They can't come direct to England, most of them because of the work permit visas and all that kind of stuff. But we've, we've taken players to like Michelin and Lask and places like that to give them their, their opportunity. We took a group of 20 lads to Portugal who played against Benfica, Balanense, uh, Sporting and so on, just to give the lads, first and foremost, gives them the experience to get out of their, their area and understand it. And also just to, for them to see what football's like in Europe, because that's their dream. And then obviously for clubs in those places to be able to have a look at them to, to maybe take them in. And then we did the similar thing where Michelin hosted us. And it was great, again, because you're talking about lads who are deprived, who are living nothing, some don't eat every day. Um, their one thing is football. They're living in regions where, you know, one, one of the lads, someone got shot on the pitch, like just came to training. So it's nothing that we can fathom over here. Imagine just go taking your lads to training and all of a sudden someone comes and shoots them on the pitch because of, you know, gang problems and that. So those boys, to take them to somewhere like Denmark, where everything's really structured and really well done, they you know, really mentally watching mm. them struggle with the structure. So for me, I, I love that. I love that kind of thing. The first trip to Portugal, for, they all just bought, it's funniest thing, probably the funniest thing, went to the supermarket, walking around the supermarket and they're rolling on the floor laughing. They're laughing because there's beans in a can. They're going, why is the beans, like, in the beans in a can? And, they, and they're laughing their heads off because they've never been out there. Everything's fresh. They want to pick it off the tree or yeah, whatever yeah, it may yeah. be. But the, to see them laugh, just to, you know, uh-huh. little, little things like that. And then they buy a big bag of rice and they'd have a bowl of rice and just a, an egg on top. And they thought they were living like kings. And it just puts things in perspective sometimes yeah. as to what we have. So, yeah, it gives me, gives me that balance as well as to give you a little slap of reality once mm-hmm. in a while. Nice. Shall we do your story? Let's go. So tell us where it all began. Where did you grow up? What was your family situation? What was mm-hmm. life like for little Danny? Yeah, <laughs> little Danny. Um, little Were Webs. you Daniel growing I was, up? I, I'm still Daniel. Still to, Daniel. Still Daniel to my, to my family and my close friends, which is... Where did Danny come from? Football. Football and renamed me. Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know, but you'd think like, you'd think, you'd think if everyone called him Daniel... When you you just go hi, I'm Daniel, and that would people would just use your name. But you do. I, I introduce myself as a kid, or my dad would say, "Oh, she's Daniel," and they go, "Hi, Danny," and you go, "Right." Oh, well, so you yeah. just you, you give up in the end. You just go, "Right, whatever it is, what it is." But so little Daniel, then what was life like for? Um. So yeah, I'm one of one of six brothers and sisters. I've got five brothers and sisters, and one of six. I'm second in that. What's the What's the split? Um. We've got three boys, three girls, different mums and dads along the way, but. 
standard in this day and age, it seems to be. So, yeah, Manchester, born in Manchester, born in St. Mary's. Went to Chapel Street Primary School, went to Chorton on Medlock near the Apollo first. Then I went to Chapel Street, which is in Levenjoom. And um, we lived in Levenjoom and in and around Hardwick, Longsight. That's where all, our, all my family is, grew up. My mum's from Stockport, my dad's from Manchester. Mum doesn't have any family, no family at all. My dad's got a massive family, big Jamaican family. You know, my dad's one of eight, so we've got a huge family. Are his brothers and sisters all in Manchester? Not anymore. When when we grew up, they were. Yeah. So, yeah, we used to have like, you know, huge, huge family and sort of, because my mum and dad had to work when we were kids, my great grand used to take or take, take me to school and, and every so every morning we'd get up we get on the bus, we get on the bus from Levenjoom, take me into Ardwick, drop me at my grand's, and she was sort of in the 70s at the time. Drop us there. My mum would then get the bus all the way back to Stockport and go to work. She used to work in, remember Lumpoly, the travel yeah, yeah, travel Lumpoly, company. Yeah. Yeah, my mum used to work at Lumpoly. So she used to work there. And then, you know, you don't know that, do you, Sam? <clears throat> way probably way back before in the day your with time. a half penny. They're bringing that up now. Yeah. Go, <laughs> So, so yeah, so, so yeah, that was, that was, you know, that was what my mum used to do, used to, you know, my dad was, used to work at the airport. So my granny would take us to school. I'm talking like she, she died at a hundred back at, you know, a good few years back, but um, amazing. She's a big part of my, big part of my upbringing. And she used to take us to church on a Saturday. So I think part of it was giving my mum a rest from the kids or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, she used to take us to church to give us a bit of discipline to make sure we... So it was the Seventh-day Adventist church on Wilbrum Road in Fallowfield, which is where we used to go. So yeah, I went to church up until I was sort of seven, seven, eight years old and football kicked in. And then there was a bit of... My gran used to go, well, you can't play football on a Saturday. I said, I want to play football. And she'd go, well, you got to go to church. And I said, I don't want to go to church. I want to go... And it was like, you know... A bit of a wrestle, a bit of a wrestle. But we then moved to, I went to Broad Oak in East Didsbury. I went to Broad Oak for a little bit. My mum remarried and then we moved to Didsbury for a little bit. So we had a bit of time there. And then my mum, must've been about nine and my mum moved to Norwich. So we've moved, we moved to Norwich to a place called Old Cossie. So I've come out of rural Manchester now I've gone, sorry, out of sort of urban Manchester yeah. and gone and lived, gone to live in Norwich. For me, I struggled a little bit. Because first and foremost, I was there was me and the only person of colour in in the school. The only school close by, because it was like a little village, was a Catholic school, and I'm not Catholic, so I didn't understand. First day, everyone would go in, and obviously would do the Hail Mary and everything, and I, and I just sat there and I didn't understand it. So I went home to my mum, and mum said, "Mum, they're doing this, and I don't get it." And she said, "Well, you know, I'll speak to the school." So I used to then go into school. They do the the rituals every day. And I used to sit there just feeling. Number one, isolated, isolated yeah. because of my colour, yeah. but then isolated because I wasn't doing what everyone else was doing. Then we'd have Friday morning mass and I'd sit at the back of the hall while everyone would go up and take How the bread. How old are you there then? About day? nine, about nine or ten. Wow. And I'd sit there and i think, right, okay, right, well. And you just, I don't know, you get on with it, don't you? Yeah. And then you, you sort of, one, your one outlet was waiting for break and you can go and play football. Do you know mm. where you, it's just normal. Mm-hmm. Football's a thing. It's a common denominator for everyone. Yeah, so... My dad at the time had gone to live in a place called Bracknell, which is in Berkshire, just outside London. And he had like a Caribbean catering business. So in the holidays, we'd sometimes go and visit my dad or we would go and visit my dad. Anyway, long story short, I didn't like, I didn't like Norwich, ended up going to live with my dad over there. So I've moved now from, this is like my fifth primary school, fourth or fifth primary school. So I've now gone 
it's from Medlock to Chapel Street, Chapel Street to Broad Oak, Broad Oak to Norwich. Um, and now I'm, I'm at another school. And I'd, but I think you get used to change. You become quite mm-hmm. resilient as kids, even though it's not what you want to do. You get used to being the new kid in school and yeah. got new at knowing what to do. But this kid, this was an open plan school. I remember it. And I just remember there's a kid who just wanted to mess with me every day. Just like year, year above me, mm-hmm. but just wanted to mess with me every day. And you're the new kid and you're trying to keep, you know, keep you calm if you like. Yeah. But every day he just wanted to mess with me, wanted to mess with me. And eventually I, I think my introduction to that school was I just ended up battering him. <laughs> you were going to say that. <laughs> I, didn't, I actually knew it. I didn't. And, and the, worst, the worst thing was I didn't, have a, I didn't have a reason. I didn't have a reason, but, you know, he just kept bothering me. So you think, how do you, and people are watching you, you know what it's like as a kid, you're aware. Yeah. And people are watching me and I just ended up just battering him one lunchtime and that was it. And we go to the headmaster's office, headmistress office, and I was thinking, right, what do I do? What do I do? And he's like, he's bleeding and this and that. And all I can think of is my dad, because my dad always used to say, never bring police to my door. And that was the thing as a kid, it's that magnitude thing, oh my God. Like, and that came from his dad, like strict Jamaican parents, you do what you want, but never bring police to my door. That's what he used to say. So, right, okay. So I'm thinking, oh, what's my dad going to say? What's my dad going to say? So ended up telling a lie to the headmistress because I didn't have a reason. And I tried to blame it all on him. And I said, mm-hmm. I couldn't just say, oh, he's been messing with me for two weeks or whatever. I just thought, well, I made up a lie. And we ended up having to be grounded, not grounded, um, like detention yeah. for a couple of lunches mm-hmm. or whatever. And but it earned me the respect at, at the school. Mm-hmm. And then never I, bothered you again. Never bothered me again. He never came near me again. He wouldn't look at me again. And I, and I think that's that was part of part of growing up. When yeah. when we were growing yeah, yeah. up, you you earn your stripes and you. Is it because you were good at football? Was that any? I don't think I had a chance. It? I don't think I had a chance to no. show what I would do. And I just think sometimes you, when your face doesn't fit and you're the new mm-hmm. kid mm-hmm. and you you're from a different city, you know, I think he just what he thought he could yeah. come and. Impose himself. Do you remember what lie you made up for for your excuse? <clears throat> no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't. I can't fully remember. I just remember his face. Mm-hmm. I remember his face, and he looks. Mm-hmm. He went, "No, I didn't say that." And I said, "Yes, you did." And I looked at his image to say, "You did you say did. that. Like you did say that. Don't you don't want that to happen again, do you?" Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's just one of one of them one of them yeah. things as kids. And I just did you enjoy school? Because it seems like you're just moving. I, I was I was moving all the time. I I love school. If I'm honest, I loved it. Yeah, I enjoyed all of it. The, mm-hmm. the scrapes you get into the, which there was a fair few. Um, Danny, you're not painting yourself in a good light here. You no, started talking about football agents, you, then it, you're talking about Billy and other kids. It, it comes with all experience, Helen. This is this is the <laughs> you know if you can see all sides of the coin and a lot of, a lot of lads growing up in football would be as relate to this kind of thing because yeah, it's a working class game and it? it's it's that kind of thing. So. So yeah, we, we moved back to Manchester. So I'm about 11, about, sorry, about 10, 11 now. So we moved back to Manchester, we moved to Burnage. And at that point is where I really started to get serious with my football. Always a United fan. Always a United yeah. fan. Dad's a big United fan. All, all my family United fans. But City, Did you just go watching as a kid? Yeah where, yeah, where we could get tickets, we'd always we'd always come and watch. But um, City picked me up. So I was playing for South Manchester and then Manchester Boys. And a guy called Terry Farrell from City came in, came and picked me up. So I was going down to Platt Lane just hated it like I don't know whether it was innate in me to not mm. like it or what but they kept sending giving me the forms to take home um and I take them home say dad they want me to sign 
And dad would go, right, no problem. He'd take the form off me. And then he'd just, I'd never see the form again. And it was, it was weird. It happened for weeks and weeks and weeks. And every time I'd go into training, as a kid, you're quite aloof. And they were like, where's your form? I go, oh, I gave it to my dad. And he'd go, right. And we'd do the session. And this went on for weeks. Um, and they were doing things like press-ups and all that. I'm thinking, what am I doing press-ups for? Yeah. I'm 10 years old. I don't want to do this. And running around Platt Lane. And then I remember being at Mersey Bank, playing for Manchester boys. And um, Nobby was on the sideline. I remember Nobby Styles, Nobby on the sideline. And he stood there in his long coat and he was still talking to my dad. And I used to be a winger at the time. So I remember running up and down the wing and trying to stop to see what they're talking about or just to, just to get a little inkling or whatever. And, you know, but United, obviously United asked me to come in. First day I came in, in at the cliff, there was Nobby, Pop Robson, um, Kiddo. They were the three that I met up in, up in the office. And you just something just sits right with you. Mm. It just sat right. I just knew I was t I was ten. I just thought, yeah, this this is me. And at the time, the cliff, if you remember, Maisie, it had rain coming through the ceiling yeah. and all that kind of stuff, and there was puddles inside it, and that it was freezing cold. There's no heating for the parents or nothing like that. But I just loved it. And Paul McGuinness was just starting out at the time. He was a youth coach, so he just started getting involved in in it all. And um, I don't know, just sometimes things just sit right in, in your life. And I just felt from that from that point onwards that this was me. Then you sort of gauging how good you are. Are you any good against these lads? Because you're always nervous. Who was in that? Because you're only 11 here, did you say? I was, yeah, I'd have been 10. 10 I was. was Anybody 10 that we would have known? <clears throat> well, Wes was a couple of years older. Yeah. Wes was a couple of years older. Um, but if I look through the, the whole thing, that it was... The only person that came probably all the way through with me there was Michael Rose, Rosie. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Rosie came through. His older brother was there as well. Them two were there. They were like the the cool kids at the time. You know, like you walk in and they're the ones who were running the show a little bit. So, mm -hmm. but now, so from there on, you just sort of like football. Just I loved it. Did everything I used to have to. So I was in high school went to Parswood, the old school before they rebuilt it. So they sold some of it off and rebuilt that. And this used to come in Tuesdays, Thursdays. I used to wear my Man United School of Excellence jumper in school just to get a few girls, if yeah. I could. You know what I mean? <laughs> Floating around in your, in your, in your Did jumper. it work? Did all right, to be fair. Were you good at school? Like, academically, did you enjoy that element of it? Only a few, a few things. I enjoyed maths. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed maths. I liked English. I was always all right at those things. And Spanish, they were the three things other than that and PE. But other than that, I just didn't, I, I didn't want to know. But I think United always you used to have to, they used to come and check on you. So you had to do yeah. more than you would have done. Mm -hmm. So um, Dave Bushell would always come in and check on your schoolwork and give you a little word in your ear. And then even the boss sometimes would say something, you're 12 and you go, how, do, how does he know that? How does he have a clue what's going on? When was the first time you met him? The boss? Yeah. I'd have been about 12, 12, yeah, 11 or 12. And, um, you know, people always say he knew your name or he knew people's name. He must have had somebody next to him saying, right, that's him and that's his yeah. dad's name because I don't know how he <laughs> did it. He, he must have, <laughs> yeah, because he knew, he knew everybody's name and he, he'd always make a beeline for you. And he used, to, he used to hammer me about my haircuts because I'd have patterns in my hair and I'd dye my hair and all sorts. And he was just like, shave that off. And I'd be like, right, okay. you know, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, no, that was it. And then I'd play Manchester Boys, get to sort of a couple of years, did, did well. Started to realise I was not bad at football. And then... We used to go to Padgate campus, like in Warrington, the, um, every sort of Easter or something, there'd be like a little campus. And then you start playing against lads from Liverpool, from Everton, everyone in the Northwest. 
And then you realise it's the best lads from those clubs and obviously your own club and all coming together. And the FA were sort of assessing you to see, I didn't know what it was for at the time, to see where you were at. And then when you got, when I got to 13, it was Lillyshaw trials. It was the first year about Lillyshaw. But yeah, so went to Lillyshaw, got in the trials, you know, and then got into Lillyshaw, which at the time they say is like the best 16 players in the country at 14. But you move away from home again. That's, I mean, that's pretty big though, surely. Like you feel pretty excited by that. Yeah, I was, I was dead excited. Were you still playing as a winger? No, I was a striker by yeah. then. I was playing up front. And um, you're waiting for the letter. You know, it's no emails or anything back then, is it? So you're waiting for the letter to come. So every day I'd... I'd have my dinner money and I'd go and have saved 10p, put it in the machine, ring my dad's missus at the time and say, is any mail coming? She'd be like, no, I'd be like, oh, God, go back to school. And the day I got the letter, it was halfway through one of my lessons. I'd gone to the toilet, put the coin in. She said, oh, there's a letter here for you. He said, open it, open it. And I'm thinking, right. So I get in. Obviously, she's gone, you're in. And I'm in school in the hallway thinking, I'm buzzing more than anything. So I ran into the toilets and I was like that in the mirror going, yeah, <laughs> jumping up and down, composed myself, went back to yeah. the lesson. You know what I mean? There's no one you can tell. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? So I was so buzzing that I got in and then I had to wait for my dad to get home from work. He used to drive lorries then. He used to wait for him to get home to work to share it with him. And then um, he said, where well, do you want to go? I said, yeah, want to go. So we ended up going and to be fair, we had a, we had a, good, a good, good group of lads that helped. We had um, Leon Mike, who was at Man City. You remember him, maybe? Yeah. We had Leon Mike, um, Peter Clark, who was at Everton. Joe Cole, which Joe was like, still close with Joe now, to be fair. Joe was unbelievable. Like, yeah. lad, dude, lads were good, but he was like, unbelievable. And I used to say, come to United, come to United. I used to try and get him to United all the time. And um, little did I know Fergie Doherty had him here anyway. Do you know what I mean? To, to get him in. But... It was just good. It was good for me. And I was used to change. So I sort of went there and adapted mm. pretty quickly. And Chris McCready, actually, who does the welfare from here, now he works at the club. He, he was he was there. If you ask him, he hated me at the beginning because I was gobby. I didn't let him go to bed at night. He just wanted to go to sleep and I'd be in there playing Sega or whatever it was. And he used to, he used to do his head in. But um, yeah, so a good, good, group of, a good group of lads. And took two, two years out of my life, learned a lot, played under um, a coach called Mr. Mr. Blunt, Keith Blunt, who was like a real hard school teacher, mm -hmm. kind of old school, old school um, coach who used to pick the England teams as well. So if you under 15s, they had now the FA run it all, but they used to have England schoolboys, didn't they? Mm. So they do the England schoolboys trials and we'd be the FA national school. And there's a lad at Sheffield United who had the best trial I've ever seen of anybody ever in my life, a guy called Paul Burke. And he got in the England schoolboys team and I never got in it. And I cried and I cried because up to that point, everything you go for, you've got, haven't you? Mm. You go, oh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And I got the letter in my mum's kitchen when we'd gone home one weekend and I just cried. I went through all the emotions of like disappointment of being gutted and then you get over yourself and, and keep moving. So then I was thinking, right, next year I'll get in the under-16s, definitely get in the under-16s, and I set my mind on it to get in it. So we had a game for the national school against Northern Ireland. They came over. I played on the wing this game, actually, and I had a blinder. I made sure I got, you know, I did really well. But the last four or five minutes of the game, someone's smashed me, and my, ankle, my ankle's blown up a little bit. Played through the game anyway, got the next day pretty cocky I'd get in and waiting the next day we go to training I said oh, I'm not I'm not training today went, what do you mean you're not training I said oh yeah my ankle's a bit sore I'm not training coach just went like that bluntly just went okay just ignored me 
And then <clears throat> we went, we'll go and have some treatment then. So I went and had a bit of treatment. They put me on the heat lamp, which blows yeah. it up even more. The yeah. heat lamp was everything back then, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Just put you on the heat lamp. So um, after the lads had done their session, calls me to his office. I'm six, sort of 16 now, 15, 16. Calls me to the office and he went, last night is you, you know, best player on the pitch, but you're not in my squad. I said, what, what do you mean? I'm not in your squad. He went, I'm not having people like you in my squad. He said, you have a good game. He says, yeah. Then next day, yeah, your little injury. If that little injury is going to be a problem to you, he said, I don't need people like you in my squad. He says, you'll never make it as a player. And I went, yes, I will. He went, you won't, son. You won't. I remember to this day with his whole accent, went, you won't, son. You won't. <laughs> and I said, I will. I said, I will. And he went, you won't. I said, yes, I will. Like, and we stood there back and forth yeah. for, for a few <laughs> minutes. And he went, well, you're not in my squad anyway. Even then I'm thinking, I played that well, I've got to be in your squad. You it was just... only against Northern Ireland though, wasn't it? That's the thing. <laughs> How old are you? At the time? No. 39. Oh, 39. Might have been No, my brother, was, he's 36. Is he, yeah? Yeah. What, so what happened? So the squad list goes up and I'm not in the squad and they travel away to where they go and I sit by myself at Lily Shaw, don't travel. Um, all my mates are gone and they're like I can't believe Webb's you're not in the squad you know what it's like as a team as a lad yeah. like, you're not in the team after that game and I'm going I don't know so he said to me pulled me and he said you're not aggressive enough he said you're not aggressive enough he said you'll never get you'll didn't never didn't see you at primary school did he uh, that's, <laughs> exactly. what, that's what I thought I thought. Yeah. I'm thinking I'll fight anyone I'll fight anyone that's what he means yeah. as, a, as a 15 year old I was like I'll fight anyone so in training then I'm going around I'm just booting everyone I'm going around <laughs> just booting everyone and he stops the session and he goes, look, 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 stop. He said, pulled everybody in. He said, Webbs, he says, I've told Webbs he's not aggressive enough. He said, he's going around booting you lot. He said, that's not what I mean. And I'm like, I'm there thinking, well, what do you mean then? Yeah. Like, I'm not in your squad. I'm not aggressive enough. Like, what do you want? Now I can't me? kick people. Now, yeah, now I can't, you know, I can't be aggressive. What do you want? And he just said to me, he said, when you want something in your life, he said, you, you know, you go and get it. Webbs has not got in my squad because he had a little knock on and, and he decided that he didn't want to be part of the group the next day and blah, blah, blah. And he said, I'm talking about it. And it was quite a, a valuable lesson for me in my life. He said, when you want something in your life, you go and get it. He mm -hmm. said, there'll be obstacles in your way and only you can get in your own way, that kind of thing. And he said, so I'm not talking about going around and kicking your mates. He said, I'm talking about just, you know, hopefully you'll understand that you go and get what you want. But it stuck with me to, for years on end. And then probably I got to about 26 and we went to watch um, Joe at West Ham. Joe had invited a group of us and we had a night out afterwards and um, he invited Blunty as well. And Blunty sat there in, in the box and he said, Danny, he said, you proved me wrong, son. Like that. He says, you know, you had a career. He said, you proved me wrong. I said, told you. <laughs> That's fair <laughs> enough. But no, it was part part of your lessons and Lily Shaw was a, a tough one being away from your family for at 14, 16, but mm. it really prepared you for coming mm. in as a, as a YTS. So what happened then? So you come to United uh, after mm -hmm. that and... At what point did you sign your first contracts and everything? 17. Mm -hmm. So I left Lily Shaw and you'd signed my YTS up until my 17th birthday and then it, it goes into your pro, automatically into your pro. And at the time, they'd, so you get offered the contract, you're buzzing. And I remember being offered the contract at the time. Can I talk numbers? Yeah. Talk numbers. I got offered, I think it was at 350 quid a week. So I got 350 at quid 17. a week at 17. Um, with a signing on fee, three-year contract with a signing on fee of 21 grand. So I was thinking, flipping, I've never seen money like that. No. Learning more than my dad or, you know, all that kind of thing. Never seen money like that. So then my contract comes, 17th birthday. Bang, there it is. 
money starts to go in. And I'm thinking, where's this 21 grand? Thinking, where is it? Yeah. I've signed what I've signed. And next month, where's the 20? Oh, not there again. Next month. And you're so scared as a kid, you're not going to go and ask the gaffer where this money is. Or, you know. So I'm, I've gone now nearly, nearly a full year or whatever it is. Get to 18. I've still not seen this 21 grand. I'm thinking, well, surely it'll come at some point. I then make my debut. And then Gaffer offers me a new contract. So I'm like, flipping out, where's this 21 grand? It's been badgering me now for a year, but I've had no, I haven't had the balls to ask, ask anybody. Uh-huh. Didn't even say it to me or my dad. I'm just thinking it's just not coming or it comes later on. So the boss pulls me in the office and he says, Webb, you know, you've done well. We want to give you a new contract. And he used to do this. And he'd, he'd write down the number and he'd say, right. And he'd push it across the table and watch your reaction. Push it across the table and say, is that all right, son? steel face and I'd sit there and thinking that 21 grand where's that 21 grand <laughs> <laughs> plus yeah. 21 I'm thinking, I'm thinking where's that 21 grand I've never you know that's life changing where's 21 thousand pounds so he said right this is what it is and he offered me for argument's sake I think it's about six or seven hundred quid a week and 30 grand signing on fee so he said, how's that, son? He said, yeah. He said, do you, know, you want to sign it? I said, oh, I'm just going to take it on to show me mum and dad. Didn't have an agent or anything. So he showed me mum and dad. He went, yeah, you do that. So I took it and I got up, walked out of the room and I got to the door and the 21 grand's like, it's like my head <laughs> like this now. Where's, you know? So I said, boss, just, just one thing. Now my stomach's churning, but I'm trying to keep, keep a, a phase together. I said, last contract, you know, you said that I was going to get 21 grand. I said, I never got it. He went, oh, Really? So he said, come, come here, son, pull, pull, pull the paper. He said, took the paper off me, scribbled out 30 and put 51. He went, there you go, son, like that. I put 51, I thought, oh, brilliant. It was that easy. But obviously, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm aware of numbers and stuff now more than anything in the way it works. But I just remember thinking, heck. and then I got my mum and dad to come in. They came in a few days later, did the contract with the boss and life moved on. But yeah, so 717 was my first contract or half of it anyway. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> Uh, and then in the in the reserves and stuff, you did really well, right? And you scored loads of goals. And at this point, are you thinking only about the first team? Or are you thinking, I want to make it as a professional footballer. If I make it at Manchester United, that'd be perfect. If I have to go somewhere else, that'll be great. But I just, that's what I want to be. Only about the first team. Mm-hmm. I think you, you've set something in your mind from being 10 or whatever it is once you're there. And you've, you know, you've got to have that sort of unrelentless focus to, to be a player at Man United. Firstly, make your debut, but then obviously to try and sustain it. And um, in my head, I was going to have Wayne Rooney's career. That's what, mm-hmm. that's what every, you know, where you set your head at, you're going to play for England, you're going to play how many times for United, and that's the dream that you're living in your head. I was realistic as well. Um, me and my dad had always said, if I get to 21 and you're not playing week in, week out, you got to go. you got to go and play somewhere else. So that was always a, a back marker for me. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I was, I just thought whatever I have to do, I'll do it. Injuries killed me, often, often killed me for when I'm making progress and all of a sudden you have to, you know, you have to stop. I think if we'd have had everything in place the way the lads have it now, I wouldn't have had so many injuries. There's a lot of injury prevention now that would have helped. And I think a bit, a bit of it was lifestyle. You started to earn a bit of money and I kept having to pull my focus back, not to football because I loved it, but pull my focus where you think people aren't watching, you know, your conscience is watching as well. So there'll be times where... If I, I think I'd have a night out where I shouldn't have had a night out mm. and I'd do it knowing full well that I could 
give maximum effort on the Monday and I was probably one of the better players and I could get through it. But when you actually look back, it's chipping away at you. It's taking away the vital, the vital pieces that need that you need to play here consistently. And then obviously, you know, try and well, sustain it. Is it only now you reflect on those things or did yeah. you notice that when you'd left Man United and moved on? I think my, my gut knew it then, mm-hmm. but you you tell yourself it's something different. Oh, no, I'll be all right. It's only one or it's only two yeah. or mm-hmm. whatever. But now I look back and I, and I think, you you know, you it was there. it's there in your hands if you want it. But I always thought if I don't make it there, then I'll always fall just short. I'll always have a career. It must be so hard, though, to to be that age and to like have access to that kind of money and that kind of lifestyle and go, no, I'm just going to focus on my games. Because that kind of sacrifice is like, it's easy to talk about now as, you know, a bunch of adults mm. in the room going, yeah, well, you know, you're 18, 17, you're 19. Don't go out, just stay in. But when you're 17, 18, 19, you're, you're a kid. You, you're going to want to go out all the time. Mm. So that's, that's such a difficult situation to be in. Yeah, of course it is. And I don't think I went out all the time. I think it was other lads who were just like two or three nights a week and they'd be out and about. And But I probably did it once, but once wasn't... Like, if you really, really wanted to be the top here, and if you look at... From 16, I leave leave school, that's a treble winning year. So how good was the squad there? You know, we've got... We had Maisie doing fun and games with us at the beginning. That was like a great introduction to... Great introduction to being... Expand. No, oh, no, no. <laughs> it was... No, it was brilliant. Cause like, you, there's like... At the cliff... Obviously, you go down and you've got, you get changed and you go down the stairs, you get changed on the right hand side, the first team on the left hand side, you're cleaning boots. So I had Wes, Wesley's boots and Coley's boots. Wes was like, Wes, you can't clean my boots. So he said, you know, I'll do it myself. So I didn't, I just cleaned so Coley's. I know it, isn't it? So I just did Coley's boots. And um, but the, intro, the, the stepping into the dressing room for a 16 year old is like one of the most intimidating things ever, especially when you look around and everybody's ledge. Do you know what I mean? But they're like, you're right there, you're right, you've been there, you know, it's crazy. And um, there's an in, there was an introduction, obviously, called Fun and Games. And there's a young man, you don't really know what it is. You just know that you're going to go in and either, it's like like you see now when everyone gets up and sings. It's like an introduction, an icebreaker. Do you know what I mean? And at the time, I didn't know Maisie. I didn't know Maisie. I didn't know. Yeah, he sat here smiling. <laughs> was it actually was titled it? Fun and Games? Yeah, lads, just was going to do Fun and Games, yeah. Bit of Fun and Games. It was. So it was Fun and Games for, for the people watching. That's, that's yeah. what it was. But it was basically, like, without going into mental detail, it was just. I think we might enjoy that kind of detail. Initiations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's an icebreaker. Yeah, an mm, icebreaker. That's what it is. And it, and it, does, it does help because, like you say, there's. You know, you're talking at 98 off the back of the World Cup and stuff. And there's some, you know, people have been, Bex was flying at the World Cup and had that that thing, you know, and next thing you sat having cornflakes next to him thinking, do I say anything, do I not? Or, you know, when he's reading the paper and he's and he's there in a sarong and do you know what I mean? And you think, oh my God, like, I can't look at that. And you're just trying to tuck your head into your, into your breakfast, do you know what I mean? And then like, like whoever, had, you know, some proper ledges there. So it was just as Yorkie signed. So it was obviously Teddy... Ollie, Yorkie, Coley is the main four. But then Scholes, would sometimes play up front. Jordi Cruyff would sometimes do a bit up front as well. So that's like the first team pool. I probably missed one or two. But then you've got underneath him people like David Healy, who was playing the under-19s and he's a full international. And he's scoring, setting records for mm. international level. There was probably four, Alex Notman, who was at Scotland, under-21s. Paul Wheatcroft, Ian Fitzpatrick, people that were all above me. So... When you're 16, you come and you think, how do I get there? Mm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like You're so close, but it probably still feels so far away just yeah. to get to that changing room. Yeah. 
and there's there's other there's other lads as well that I've you know I've not even thought about, but you just think right, just keep scoring goals, just score goals, yeah. do what you do, and you and you're that confident at the time that you just think I'm meant to be there. So you just keep doing what you're doing as long as you're scoring goals. So my first season, I scored about 17 goals in mm-hmm. 11 or 12 games and I was flying. And then I was meant to go because at the time it was under 17s, under 19s, then reserves, then the first team. And that was in the under 17s. And I didn't play for the under 19s. And Neil Bailey said, right, you're going with the reserves. So it was to skip the 19s out and go straight with the reserves. So we played Everton on the Saturday in the February. I did my knee on the Saturday and I didn't get in the reserves that season. The season finished. So that was my first first year. And then we had the trip to Barcelona, obviously, to, to watch the, the final and everything. And then for me, it was like, right, season, we go again. Under 19, set off, did really well again. Started playing in reserves, made my debut. 18, made my debut, stayed in my light. Biggest blur, blur ever. I remember Fergie just saying... It was a League boss, Cup match, wasn't it? League Cup match. Yeah. League Cup match, yeah. And I just remember the boss saying, right, Danny, you coming on? And like, it's, it's a weird emotion because it's something that you've built up from being a kid mm-hmm. that this is, oh my God, I'm going to pull on that foot, pull on that shirt. Happened. Yeah, is this actually happening? But you've also got to be cool about it. Do you know what I mean? So you, you're battling emotions, really. Like game facing life when really you just want to scream and do exactly what I did in the toilets mm-hmm. when I found yeah, out I was going yeah. to the really show. Yeah. You know, that's what you want to do, but you can't because there's loads of people about and you're trying to be cool <laughs> and you're trying to be a man and that's, that's just what it is. So I come on, first thing I did was, my first thing was a, a header and I've hit the bar with a header and the keeper Sorensen's tipped it onto the bar and it's, and it's gone over. I just remember looking behind behind the um, all the United fans as well. They're going mental behind it and I'm thinking, oh my God, this is sick. This is sick. <laughs> and then the next sort of 50, we got beat, we got knocked out of the cup, but the next few minutes or whatever, I was just like, oh my God, I can do what I want. And I kept looking, I had a little glance at the badge and I was like, this is a joke, this is a joke. <laughs> um, game ended and I'd managed to pull up, a, pull a little injury in that game as well. And I was thinking, oh my God, but I didn't tell anybody. I tried to play through with it for a while. We played in the reserves a little while later and the boss came and pulled me after a resi game and said, you're going on loan tomorrow, son. I thought, oh, we put you. I said, he said, where? I said, where am I going? I'm thinking, right, you couldn't loan Premier League to Premier League then. So that was out of the question. I was thinking, all right, well, championship or whatever. And then he sent me on loan to League One, which was Division Two at the time, whatever it was, to Port Vale. Brian Horton's the manager. Um, they just had a lad who'd been in at Man City, Chris Killen. He'd been in and scored 10 in 10 on loan. So I'm thinking, Chris can do it. I'll score yeah. 20. Do you know what I mean? That's just where your head was like, yeah, I'll score, no problem. So we go in first Were day. you happy about going alone, sorry? Yeah, I was buzzing. Yeah. Because it, you know, you play in reserves, but you just want, what, yeah. I just thought whatever the boss said, wherever you want me to go, I'll yeah. do whatever That's the best I need thing to do for me. to get there, you know? I think so. what we should do, just right before, now that we're at mm. a, a good, sort of almost at the start of a new chapter, yeah, Port yeah, Vale, yeah. it's just rewind ever so slightly, okay. just to find out what those fun and games were, because it felt like you were going to tell us, <laughs> and then you didn't, and then it got away, and I'm sure there are people listening that are going to be very annoyed if I don't ask. Okay. What did um, Maisie make you do? Everybody's watched the Class 92 documentary, so we know what some of them were. PG, PG. All right. Doesn't have to be PG. We, no, to be fair, it was li- little things like, I got off like, I got off lightly, I'll tell you what I had to do, I had to do. I had to um, beatbox. I had to do a bit of beatboxing <laughs> for one of the lads to dance. So I had to basically throw a few little beats in. One of the lads was got up dancing, and other so lads had to had to do do other stuff that yeah. was that was um, a bit more invasive. But there you go. Um, that was nothing. Do you know what? When you have a dressing room, what we had in in ninety nine, two thousand, and so mm. on and so on, 
the banter that goes on there and to bring the young lads in, to bring them in. And it's a case of inviting him them into the dressing room just so that when they do actually eventually walk into the dressing room, they're not intimidated mm-hmm. by everybody. Mm. Everyone knows that there's a togetherness there. And it happened every year. You know, yeah. Christmas, we'd, we'd, you know, they'd be dressing up and all sorts of things. There was one time, I don't know, I'm sure you, it'd have been you, Dan, your year, Christmas Day, it might have been Christmas Eve, something like that, and you all came in in fancy dress. And it was just all good fun. Nothing. Yeah. All fun and games, yeah. you might want to say. All fun and games, Helen. It was. Thank you, Maisie, for sharing that. Do you know how to beatbox, by the way, Maisie? Do I? Yeah. Yeah. Boots and cats. <laughs> Go on. No. Just say boots and cats, but then say it fast. No. Boots and cats? Yeah, say boots and cats. Boots and cats. And then just get faster. This is going to make me say a rude word. No, it, it's, it makes you beatbox. <laughs> boots and cats, boots and cats, boots and cats. Boots and cats, boots and cats, boots and cats, boots and cats, boots and cats. You just say boots and cats and you okay. just speed up. Boots and cats. That's a real thing. There you go. So uh, you've gone on loan to Port Vale. I yeah. just thought we should all find out what happened and it was just a bit of beatboxing. So uh, yeah, you're on loan to Port Vale. You're really excited about it. You're mm-hmm. going to score 20 in 10. Yeah. So first game, we play Tramme. Um, well, first day we actually go training. We're training with a yellow furry ball because um, it was cold outside. Tra- yellow furry ball. We're inside the gym oh, yeah. and they've used benches as the goals, you know, proper old school. Old school, yeah. Um, and everyone just basically kicks the crap out of each other before day before a game. And I thought, ah, this is new. This is decent. Get involved. Following game, I'm starting. We played Tramme. I think it was Tramme. They had the team. Do you remember we had Kumas, Dave Chaloner? Yeah. Um, they had a good side they kept having good cup runs you won't remember Sam so, um, <laughs> but yeah so I played the first half got dragged at half time I was terrible I was terrible didn't the physicality just did just bullied me even though I tried to have a go I just wasn't physically there Tuesday night we played away at Hull in the LDV Vans Trophy uh, it wasn't the Hull Stadium now it was the Boothbury Park yeah, yeah. proper like it was a horrible place to play football and we played against a fullback, right back. He put me on the wing now, I think, to protect me, but just to play me. Put me on the wing, played against a guy called Ty Goodison. And he put me into the boards after about two minutes. I got up, thought, right, give me the ball, I'll go again. Smash me into the boards again. I remember thinking, is this a joke? Like, <laughs> seriously, is this a joke? Every time I got on the ball, just not happening. And I think when you come from United, people go, I'm not having that young kid yeah. from Man United mm. come and embarrass me. And they just want to empty you. Do you know what I mean? So you learn quickly or you try and learn quickly how to look after yourself. And I like to dwell on the ball, realise that I've got to play a bit of one and two touch if I want to, you know, and that's how quickly you learn. So we go the full month, scored about no goals. <laughs> Didn't score a single goal. <laughs> oh, and everyone's going, he's rubbish, he's shit. he wise a year, he's rubbish. Um, I'm getting dogs abused. The Port Vale fans weren't feeling me. Oh, and no. I'm thinking, oh my God. And every day I'm driving up, driving on the motorway. I'm thinking, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Don't want to be here. Just don't want to be here. But I've got to be hard. I've got to be tough. I've got to get through it. So we get to the end of it. And it's like, I think it was Boxing Day, the last game. And I've been counting down the days. I've been choking them off. Finished the game. Didn't come on at all. Just sat on the bench, the whole thing. At the end of it, I was like saying bye to the lads. And Brian comes in. He says, oh, Danny can have a word. I said, yeah. I'm thinking he'll say, oh, Webb, thanks a lot. He said, I've, I've just spoken to Alec, um, as he called him. We've agreed for you to stay for another two months. <laughs> I wanted to die. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, I, I can't do this. I don't want to be here. And he went, is that all right, son? And he, you're faced with, 
I know the, if the boss has agreed to it, he wants me to be here. Yeah. yeah. So he said, is that all right, son? I just went, I said, no. He went, no. He went, no. I went, I said, no, I'm going to go back to United. And he went, really? I said, yeah. He went, right, okay. I'll tell Alec. He was fuming. Didn't really say bye or anything. He just went like that. So I'm thinking, oh my God, what do I do now? So I go back to United the next morning and I'm in Car- work Carrington and I'm sat there eating my cornflakes or whatever. And I look up and I see across the cut across there, I see, oh, Gaffer's coming out of his office. Don't come in the canteen. Don't come in the canteen. Don't even want to see his face. Other lads having breakfast and whatever, reading papers. Next thing, the boss comes in, shouts my name across, across the whole thing. He's gone, Weber. And I've tried to like blag it and think that like I can't hear him. He's gone, Weber. Looked up, oh, morning, 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 boss. Like, oh God, I'm, I'm like inside, I'm dying. I'm, I'm hot. Lads are looking at me and he's started walking towards me. So he's come, he's come to me now and I'm thinking, we're not having this conversation in front of everybody. We can't have this conversation. Please, like, can we go somewhere private and have this conversation? Mm-hmm. So he's gone, just spoken to Brian. And now lads are, lads are like, from reading papers to going. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. Just spoken to Brian. He's, um, we agreed for you to stay another two months at Port Vale. He says, um, you know, what, what are you doing? Why are you back here? He said, you know, he said you didn't want to stay. I said, no, I said, I didn't, I didn't want to stay. And he went, why? thinking what do I say what do you say there like you don't just say I just didn't like it because you're like it's not what you say is it it's not what you do just don't didn't like it or just didn't enjoy it or anything like that because the part of the reason for you going there is to get through the challenge and he stood there and it must have been felt to me like about five minutes I didn't have an answer and I just went because I think I can play higher than that after I had the worst loan spell the worst (laughs) month ever and he looked at me looked at me as if to say, you cheeky little, whatever. Yeah. But he clipped me around the head and just went, you're right, son. And just walked off. And I'm like, what's <laughs> just happened there? What's just happened? And I think probably because I backed myself, even though I'd had a, be- a beast, I'd had a nightmare of a, a loan spell, he sort of, I think he quite respected that. So then fast forward six, seven months, I'm back playing and whatever. And he ends up sending me on loan to Watford. So now... Watford's a league above now in the championship they've just mm-hmm. been relegated from the Premier League as far as loans go I couldn't have gone any higher because the Premier League wasn't available Viali was the manager Gianluca Viali and he just boss pulled me in and just said look I want you to go and work with Luca go and work with Luca for, for a little while and Ray Wilkins you know God rest his soul was the coach as well he said I want you to go and work under him and you know learn your game kind of thing but then all doubt starts flooding into my mind that I'm having to battle. Well, I couldn't do it at that league. Mm. Flipping heck, can I do it at this league? Yeah. I've got no choice but to go and prove it to myself. And I think they're the situations football puts you in quite often mm-hmm. where you've got to prove it. You don't have a choice or you're gone. And it's, that's, that's where you find yourself. So went to Watford, had a great loan spell, did mm-hmm. really well, proved a lot to myself more than anyone else. Scored my first few league goals. Went to Toulon with England, played in the Toulon tournament at the end of it. And was quite quite happy with the way that one went, but it was like the tale of two different loan spells. And in the middle, if I didn't back myself, I wouldn't. It wouldn't have gone so well for me anyway. So, yeah, that was that was like my first introduction. Played another first team game in between that as well, which was, was that a Champions League game. No, before oh, that, you played Arsenal. Didn't played you? Arsenal, yeah, obviously not at Highbury. Mm-hmm. What was that um, like? It was good. We had um, me and Jimmy played up front. So me and Jimmy had obviously come through the ranks together. Mm-hmm. So we played up front together. Typical him. We get gaffer names the team and everything. We're about to go out and do the warm up. Webs, where's my boots? He, he forgot his boots. <laughs> it was his day. It was his debut. 
he forgot his boots, didn't have a pair of boots, got all the way to Highbury. So I had to lend him a pair of my boots and we, we went out there and Canu and Will Toad ripped us a new one. <laughs> and um, we lost 4-0, but I had a chance in that game. Mm-hmm. These are, I think these are the little moments that as a youngster, if you don't take those chances, yeah, you know, they're the chances you have to take. If you don't take them, you, you, you just takes a notch off your your name, if you like, mm. or, you know, what you're expected to do. If you look at the likes of Mason and Marcus, they've come in and score goals straight away. You know, I had a similar chance, didn't take the, didn't take the chance. You know, dif- different story because you're expected to come here and just be the elite. So I remember going through, it was nil-nil. Bojan slips me through and 1v1 against Richard Wright. And something I'd do every day, I'd slot it past him. And this time I've tried to do something else and I've hit his leg or he saved it. I remember running away and I'm cursing myself in my head, trying to get your head back on track because you've got to play your game. But I'm just fuming with myself because I'm thinking, you, you score them in your sleep. Mm. What are you doing? And it's that's the pressure, mm. the pressure you put on yourself and all that kind of thing. So I just think, I think this football club will provide you with your opportunity. And if you, it's up to you to take that opportunity when you get it. And I think the, the little bits of opportunity that I got, I didn't take it in the way that I should have taken it. And that's, in like a fair appraisal, I think of the opportunity I got yeah. at this football club. You mentioned um, you mentioned one lad who was a lovely, lovely lad, Jimmy Davis. Obviously, sadly passed away in a car crash. How close was you to Jimmy, and how much did that that moment affect you when when you heard the news? Jimmy was my best friend in in the football club, all all the way through. So, for those that didn't know Jimmy, Jimmy was from Redditch, Birmingham area, like great kid, absolute to be around, just good fun, banter. Like his brummy, uh, brummy yeah, accent, exactly, it? Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Yeah. Grafter, worked hard, but just a top, top person, first and foremost. And I know a lot of people say that when people have passed, but even when he was here, we just say, you just love being in his company. So we played probably from about 12 or 13 when he joined the club. We were up front together, scored a lot of goals, did everything off the pitch as well. We, we just had a good rap. And then it was, at, like you say, at, at 21, I turned down my contract here and he signed the contract. So I went to sign for Watford permanently. And then Watford said, well, can we take Jimmy on loan? So that season, me and him were so excited to go and play together again um, in professional football. And we were like, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll rip up the championship and we'll do this and that and the other. So he does pre-season, he joins pre-season. I've just come back off, I've got a metal plate in my leg at the time, so I'm recovering, but I do the back end of pre-season. We go to Finland and he, he had to do his initiation for Watford. He brought the house down, the whole place, mm. like just in character more than anything. He's, he did Gangster's Paradise, so he sang Gangster's Paradise. Mm. But before it, he'd rehearsed it in the room for about a week. So you were listening to that for a whole week. All week. But but he brought the performance to the lads. Yeah. And we were in this restaurant in in Finland, and everybody in the restaurant was just like, Whoa, like you know, giving him giving him sort of a, a standing out. Um, but he was yeah, he was brilliant. So that was sort of the week before the season starts. The day day or two before the season starts, he got a little knock, which means that obviously he wasn't going to play an opening game against Coventry. The night before the season, so he was meant to be in treatment on the Saturday morning. So Friday night, me and him are sat in the, sat in the hotel, the Watford Hilton again, where he was staying. By now I'd already sorted myself out somewhere to live. So we sat having dinner and then we, get, we get to about nine, half nine. And he's talking about going back to Birmingham. 
And I said, Jim, you're in in the morning. Like, you don't need to, you don't need to go home. I said, you're in at nine in the morning for treatment. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know what, Webs, you're right. I'm not going to go. I think he just wanted to go and see his girlfriend and his mum. Yeah. His little brother and stuff as well. But I was like, Jim, by the time you get back to Birmingham, it's 11 o'clock and what, what's the point? And he went, yeah, you know what, Webs, you're right. Anyway, we finished dinner. He goes back to his room. I then go to my house. At the time, I've got my mum and my sisters coming down because they're going to watch the game the day after. So I wake up the next morning and um, get Terry Byrne, who was the general manager at the time. He called me. I'm thinking, why is he calling me? About eight o'clock. So he rings me. He said, oh, Webs, he says, um, your paperwork's not gone through. He said, we need you to get to the stadium, sign your paperwork. Um, otherwise, you're not going to be able to play today. I said, right. And I jumped in, got my tracksuit on, got in the shower, got a tracksuit on, got down to the stadium. As I got to the stadium, I sat there and I thought, there's four cars in the car park. There was Terry Burns, Ray Lewington, the manager, and two police cars. And I'm thinking, what have I done? What have I done? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking, I've not done anything, you know, nothing bad enough for that. So as I walk in, obviously Terry comes down with Ray Lew and they've, they've got tears in their eyes. And I just get that sinking feeling mm. and they were like, I said, what, what's up? And then, oh, you know, police need to speak to you. I said, right. So I've gone out with police, uh, you know, we're sat in like the boardroom now. And they said, look, um, don't really know how to say this, but, you know, Jimmy's car's been involved in an accident. We can't tell whether it's him or not. Um, <clears throat> you know, they said, we can't tell whether it was him or not. Um, the car was hit the back of a lorry at 100 miles an hour and basically couldn't identify the body. The only reason we knew it was his car is because the number plate had rolled up the bank and we could identify the number plate. I was like, picked up my phone, was ringing him, 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 nothing. And you know, but you don't want to accept mm -hmm. in that in that very moment. And I was like, and as this is happening, my phone starts to go. It's obviously come out in the press or something that, um, it come out in the press that a young Man United player or young Man United player conflicting reports had died in a car accident. So people are ringing me thinking it's me. People are ringing me who know it's Jimmy are ringing and I'm not allowed to answer my phone because the police saying don't answer it. So I'm sat there, you know, and I'm in tears and I'm yeah. flooded to tears and I'm <clears throat> keep ringing him, ringing him, leaving voicemails just like, you know, they said we've been to the um, to his hotel and you were the last person seen with him. You, you know, you left at half nine and he decided to disappear. We've checked everything. We can't get hold of his mum mum yet. So found out before his, for his parents, they're sending people around to try and get hold of his mum and dad. Um, and did you know his parents yeah, as well? Yeah, great, just great family, you know, mm -hmm. love, lovely people, you know, still have bits of contact with Jenny's mum and so on. Um, it was just awful, just awful that would happen and you, it took, wasn't not about me in any way, shape or form, but it took me a year to get my head straight again mm. because you start having questions, oh, if I didn't go to Watford, he wouldn't have come to Watford or, you know, we just started trying. Was he making that journey home that he said he wasn't going to make? Or He'd was done he, it, yeah. So he, he, he basically made the journey home, spent a bit of time with his mum and dad and thought about two in the morning that he'd just shoot back and while there's no traffic, shoot back and get in bed and then be ready for treatment in the morning. So yeah, it was it was difficult. I remember I played with a, a vest with his with his name on it through throughout that season, and 
a sort of a promise I made to his dad. I said, look, you know, because they went, look, we'll live his live his career through you now, kind of thing. And it was just a so, a, but it weighed really heavy on me. I just remember um, I scored five goals that season. They were really hard to come by. Training every day. I was down there by myself. Yeah. So I was living by myself and I'd finish training some days. I wouldn't have breakfast. I'd go to training, put on the brave face for the lads. And was like, you're right, Webb. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Get through training. And then at the end of training, I'd just sort of like, gather. sometimes go to the bookies. Sometimes go to the bookies and sit on the roulette machine for a little bit. And then I'd go home or I'd just go back to my house and I had a com- like my computer in my spare bedroom at the time. And I'd just sit on, sit looking through nonsense for you. And then before you know it, I'd look at my clock and it'd be like 10, 11 o'clock at night. I'd be like, I better get some dinner. But I'd barely eat breakfast. I probably hadn't had lunch. And I, you can't perform as, a, mm. as an athlete like that. There was one or two people. Ray Lewington was brilliant. And then um, it was a, the masseur at the time, Wayne Farage, who was called. He used to say, look, I'll come to your house and just sit with you for a bit or yeah. whatever, you know what I mean? And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. You sort of, that goes back to, I think, the earlier the earlier parts where people saying, you know, you've you know, you got to be tough and you've got to all that kind of thing and you're, you're not aggressive enough. So you kind of go, no, I'm all right. I'm a man, I can handle it. But regardless of what, you've got your feelings and you've got to, you know, you, you're grieving mm. over your mate yeah. and you and every every day you go in, there's, yeah, reminders there's mention or stuff, reminders yeah. or, and then Watford used to play Z cars going out every before kickoff and they changed it to Gangster's Paradise so every game we were coming out we walked out to Gangster's Paradise so it was like you know Mm. and it was done with the absolute best intention Mm. but it weighed heavy on me personally because I'd sat in the room and listened to it with him every day and it was like every game you go out five I'd say five goals hard to come by I was cramping up in games and I just wasn't I had a metal plate in my leg and I just wasn't anywhere near what I should have been and then you're seeing people on the, like, could you read the forums as a, as a young lad? And the lads are going, oh, Webb is this and that. And forget about the fact that Jimmy's gone. He should be doing this and he should be doing that. And you're trying to game face it all. You know, it's just, just hard. And then I remember I remember his funeral and everybody came from the club. You know, I remember Beckham was at Real Madrid and he, he'd already come back. He came back for it and it was such a big day. And um, yeah, it's just sad to see somebody's, somebody's, young life disappearing in that manner and the end of that season we stayed we stayed up Watford it was a tough season for Watford and when we got safe there was about four games to go and Ray Lou pulled me and he said Webb go back to Manchester so just go back he said I don't care about the season he said we're safe you've done your bit go back to Manchester and just let off some steam and do what you need to do he said Mm. because it's clearly been hard for you and I think they had there was a guy at the time who was the what they call that psychologist at the club. And he said, I'll come and speak to you outside the club. So he came and met me three or four times. And and this was hard because you're opening up to somebody and he, I kept things that I was telling him that nobody else knew. Mm. I'm I'm hearing from the manager or I'm hearing from somebody I'm thinking, and I just stopped. Next time he's like, we'll meet tomorrow night. I said, I'm not meeting you again. I'm not doing it because he betrayed my trust. You know, when yeah. it was it was hard enough for me to speak to you in the first mm-hmm. place, you betray my trust, and I just went, you know, you're gone, kind of thing. And it wasn't long; he wasn't at the club for for that long. But I just remember thinking, what really, like mm-hmm. really? But in summary, like nothing but amazing memories for Jimmy. You know, for his time for being here, um, what a, what a guy, and the, and the club 
the gestures they made. They obviously won the won the cup yeah. final and had the Davis shirts on at the back and everything. And I think I know his family appreciated that. And yeah, just a horrible, horrible end to something to somebody and something that was so amazing. But mm-hmm. his memories are always, you know, just Absolutely. strong. A great guy. Mm-hmm. As anyone who came into contact, you know, Maisie. Absolute tragedy. We spoke about things like this with Mickey Thomas in his podcast and he said very often you don't realise what players are going through privately but you were going through it so publicly as well and to read things like that must have been just, you know, in the forums as you say. Mm -hmm. I I don't even know how you cope with that. I mean, how long was it after that you actually went and played a game? Well, the following week. So I tell you, the game was cancelled on that Saturday. And then I think we played on the Tuesday night or something mm-hmm. like that, the Tuesday, and then the life kicks on, doesn't it? Yeah. Like life moves on. Life kicks on for other people for when other they people. just don't know the person and they read about it. But for you, you're yeah. living it every single day. Mm. And I, that's when I think, you know, I know I'm a, I'm a fairly strong personality and a fairly strong person, but it was only in retro. I didn't realise while I was going home and just sitting in front of a computer or going to the bookies or whatever, mm-hmm. I didn't realise what that was. Yeah. And then that summer, that summer, I literally went home and just had the metal plate taken out my leg, recovered from that. And I went to Vegas and I just let off steam. I just turned, I just thought, right, I let off steam in Vegas. I went on one or two other holidays and then I thought, right, that's it. First of June, I spent every day from the first of June to the first of July, just getting myself really fit. And I thought I can't because I've got to get it right. I've got to get it right. And I had a lot, I remember we had um, Terry Burton, who was our assistant manager at the time, because it wasn't going so well. Just before the end of that season, we'd gone to Portugal and we sat around and had um, a conversation like, right, lads, heart to heart. Why isn't it going well? We don't want to get relegated. We want to stay up. What's going on? And he said, what I want you to do, he said, there's no judgment, no malice, you know, um, intended from anybody. Just open and honestly, we want to know what you feel. So like, right, okay. He said, write down the starting 11 that you think should start. It's confidential, but no judgment. We just want to get an idea of where you lads are at. So I was like, right, okay. So I write down my team, which was, I had people at Ashley Young in it. A Youngie was a yeah, really young young lad there, but didn't, didn't play. But I could see he had quality and he had enough fight about him and enough about him to improve every time he, you know, he stepped in with the first team. Long story short, put my, give my team to Terry and Terry was like... Did you put yourself in it? Of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> I had enough time on my hands if I weren't playing games. <laughs> so um, so he, put, he, he literally, everyone went out and he went, oh, Webs, can you just stay behind? I went, oh, all right, no problem. And he went, I just want to talk through your team with you. He said, well, why have you gone with that? I went, I thought there was no judgment. <laughs> <laughs> I thought was no judgment. Supposed to be confidential? Yeah. <laughs> Anonymous? Yeah, and he went, he went, well, you know, I just want to understand what you're thinking. So I've gone like Ashley Young on one wing, Hamabuatsa, who was on another wing, Paolo Vanatza, myself, like young, quite a young lads, because in young v old, you'll know Maisie, the old always yeah, yeah. beat the young, don't they? But we used to beat the old every week. Mm. And I'm like, we're struggling here and we've got legs, we've got energy, we've got, and we're, and we're doing well. We need a few of the old lads, but you know, and he went, well, he said, it's not for me that. He said, he said, you're not at Man United now, you know, son. He said, it's, you know, that's football, two football purists. I went, well, 
<laughs> what do you want from me? It's like, so weird to call you in to talk about it and go, I don't like this. Exactly, yeah. We're not well, Man United. It's in so in weird. a non-judgmental place yeah. where we're struggling, <laughs> looking at, I'm yeah. spending half my day what, looking at a computer screen and, and that's unacceptable. Do you know what I mean? So so I was like, well, what, what do you mean? Like, he went, well, it was football purists, not at Man United now. That's not what we need to get out of, to get out of this situation. I went, all right then. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the manager. It's fine. Move yeah, on. Exactly. Like, let me let me go. So, I remember thinking, oh my god. So I knew he wasn't fully on my on my side right, either. Yeah. So when we come back to that following, we obviously stay up. We come back to that following preseason, and he's playing. He's I can see he's getting his weight behind other strikers and not me. But I've come back that fit and that like at it that he's semi can't ignore me. So um, they're playing a lad they got out of non-league called Scott Fitzgerald, and I'm thinking. You know, you, you'll know, you'll know again when you're playing. Sometimes you do all, you do everything, and it just falls to someone else, and they tap it in. This was what was happening. It felt like to me with Scott, and he fair play to him. He earned his way from non-league and got himself a contract. And but I'd sort of do all the work, hit the post, and it just falls to him, and he tap it in, and he'd run away. And I was thinking, this is a joke. Like every week, like you know what I mean. Um, but I got myself dead fit, and um, started that season. Started scoring goals scored nine in my first seven and I was top scorer in the championship and I was buzzing again but there was a there was a moment we went to Ibiza pre-season and lads were never going to stay in Ibiza like we stayed right in right in it in Ibiza and lads were never going to stay in so we we sort of like like yeah go to bed and fire pre-season pre-season was San, San Antonio yeah the, the, <laughs> why the, would um, you go there for pre-season it was the Ibiza Cup mate do you know right. what the Ibiza yeah. Cup yeah, yeah sure yeah, that famous sure. cup that prestigious <laughs> <laughs> Real Madrid, so, Barcelona uh, were there. <laughs> so we, we, there was us and Chef Wednesday and a few others. But he didn't pick me for the first game or whatever. So I'm thinking, right, fire exit, I'm out tonight. And I was out the fire exit and with a few of the lads and we were on it. Next day we were running. It was baking sun in this this sort of, um, like it's like a coliseum where we're just running thinking, oh my God, why did I go out last night? But it was good anyway, whatever. And then I just remember the next game, like, Terry was just on my case at the time. It felt like it anyway. And I just remember ringing my dad and at the time, Dennis Wise was just gone to Millwall and he tried, he tried to take me. He wanted, to, I knew he wanted to sign me. So I said to my dad, I said, dad, I said, I hate, I hate it here. I said, I love Watford. I said, but I can't, I'm not going to play. I don't like what he wants me to do and all this kind of thing. And my dad just, well, what's your choices? You're under contract. Like basically get on with it. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I was in tears. I walked away from the lad, sat around the pool and I was in t- tears in my eyes. I was that frustrated because in my head, it's like you're thinking, well, pound for pound as a player, like I'm better if not as good as whatever mm-hmm. is I'm up against, but I just don't feel like I'm getting a fair crack of the whip. And then my dad just said, well, do what he says, do what he says and see, see how it pans out. So I thought, right. So I took, I said, I'll do it for two weeks. So I took on board what he said for two weeks and I started flying, doing what he wanted me to do, which burnt me because <laughs> he was the coach and he knew better, but I didn't want him to know better. Do you know what I mean? And then like I said, I set off the season, scored nine in seven and then, Watford had bought me, Watford bought me through investors. So I wasn't bought by, technically wasn't owned by the club. I was registered to the club, but they bought me through some rich fans. So um, they decided after my first season of me scoring five and it not going so great, after I'd set off like a house on fire, they decided that when a bid came in, that they wanted to cash in. So I had to leave basically. And remember Ray Lou said, I don't want to sell you, but they've decided that you've got to go. So that's when I went to went to Sheffield United and um, it was the best thing for me. But 
it wasn't a nice way to leave the club and you don't no. have a you don't have a voice at that point either. So the fans just go, Why is he leaving? What's yeah, he doing? Yeah. And you sat there going, Thanks a lot, see you later. And you don't have like now the lads have got everything to be able to mm-hmm. say thank you or put their voice across. We didn't. So when I went back to Watford, playing for Sheffield United, after fans cheered me and after fans were just like boo, just <laughs> giving me all sorts. And I'm thinking, you just don't know, you don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But such is life. I like the idea of you standing there screaming at a stand, but you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand me. Is that when you scored the winner against Watford you're talking about? Yeah. So that yeah. wouldn't have been the good a good time to say. No. And, and you, 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 it's one of them, do you celebrate or not? But I half, half celebrated for the half of people that didn't that, that booed me. And I, for the others, I was like, you know, so it was like an Alan Shearer celebration, one arm instead of two. Do you know what I mean? How much did you enjoy your time there though at Sheffield? Loved it. Loved it. That was where I really came into my own mm-hmm. I think I, I embedded myself in it at Watford and understood everything but Sheffield United I didn't want to play under Warnock I ignored his call for three or four days and then eventually his voicemail was Danny listen it's Nielsen please call me back like <laughs> and I went right so I thought because I'd played against his teams and I thought have you seen this guy on the sideline yeah. and I'm hearing him telling people to break my legs and all sorts and I'm thinking do I really want to play for that plus it was like a striker's factory so it was like they'd churn them in and churn them out. And when even when I signed, they had they had about six strikers on the books. And I remember Jason Roberts calling me yeah. and he called me, he went, Webbs, what are you doing? Why are you going to go and play for him? He said, there's, you know, it's a strike. He called it, it's a striker's graveyard. He said, you know, there's he's got six there at the, at the time. There was Andy Gray, Paul Shaw, um, Steve Cabber, David Johnson, who came through here. There was Tommy Johnson and uh, Ashley Ward. There was like there was six just off off the bat, and he was like, "Well, what are you going there for?" And I said, "I'll be all right." I said, "I'm, I, I just focus." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm better than that. I'll play." So, um, so yeah, when when I went there, and Warnock's this kind of guy, I eventually went up and I sat in the, I sat in the um, dugout with him at Bramall Lane, and I thought, like him, he's got an ambition, like like him or not, I like his ambition for what trying to go where I wanted to go, which was back to the Premier League. Um, and he said, "I'll build a team next season to make sure that we that we get up." And we did. In fairness to him, um, my debut. If I hadn't set off, and he said this to me since, if he never set off in the way you did, he said you might have been one of the others, kind of thing. Like <laughs> he's that blunt. That's, that's yeah. how he is. So we set off against Leeds, and I scored after 93 seconds, and we beat them four 0 at Ellen Road. And for him, it was like amazing because mm. the Kevin Blackwell was obviously he's the manager of Leeds and he just left Neil in the lurch and gone and taken the job and he was Neil's assistant so Neil was fuming before the game he was like you better make sure you beat him you beat sure you beat him so I think that got me off on the right foot and then in training he used to just say stop the session and he's got the ability Neil and that's why I know he'll always do well with people like whether his tactics are great or not to pull people make them feel amazing so he'd stop the session and go right stop he says he'll go do that again, Webbs. Whatever you just did, I don't understand it, but just do it again. You know, that was brilliant. And it's semi-embarrassing, but it obviously yeah, you know, yeah. it makes you feel good, doesn't it? So we used to do things like that. And he said, just give it to Webbs. Just let Webbs do what he wants. Give it to Webbs and, um, and stuff like that. So I had a lot of confidence when I played there. I enjoyed it and we got promoted and all that kind of thing. So yeah, fun memories of Bramalee, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Portsmouth followed mm-hmm. um, where you went to the FA Cup final. Mm-hmm. I mean, that must have been really special. It was if I'd have played. Yeah. Yeah, I'd done my cruise ship. I, was gonna, I knew sem- you'd done it. I didn't know if it was semi. before or after. Yeah. So um, it was, it, Portsmouth was a funny one as well because I'd had the summer um, with no club. Signed for Portsmouth when the season started. So my fitness was a bit behind. I'd come into United and done a bit of pre-season actually, which helped me. 
at the time, Paul Hart was the manager. He took me in and Avram took the job, Avram Grant. But so we go in, we say, look, if you do all right, we'll give you a contract. We sign the contract. First month, money doesn't drop in the bank. Unless I'm thinking in the Premier League, seriously. Like, so we then get the finance director at the time, Tanya. She's coming, she's talking to us and she's like, it'll be in the bank by the next few days. And she's shaking like this because people like David James are going, really? Like what? Money's not coming and people are on her. And she's obviously trying to, trying yeah, to, yeah. to the point where poor heart had to go, okay, like relax. Um, but they were like, no, our money, we, we come to work, we get paid. And it was really my experience of like flipping it. It was a really new experience. But you eventually got our money, but then obviously it changed owners once or twice and, and then it imploded and um, we got docked 10 points or whatever it was which in, in the Premier League isn't easy to, to do anything with Paul Hart leaves we start selling players we sold Eunice Kabul back to Tottenham for our, our, however much and I just remember it was just it was a carnage circus. yeah it was carnage from, hmm. the, from, from the beginning while we're trying to win football matches but we somehow managed to get to the FA Cup final and you know still got a medal got a runners up medal but um before it, a couple of weeks before it, we played Tottenham at White Hart Lane, and I'm, I've gone to, I've gone to body Asu Okoto as I've seen him. I've gone to just sort of body him, and he's moved out the way. All my my weight went on my knee, and I felt my knee just pop, and that was it. Crew shit done, but there was no physio to to, to come and to come and get me because literally two minutes earlier, Herman Aridison had just snapped his Achilles on the side, so oh. I'm sat I'm on the pitch like crew shit done. And the both of us would just get wheeled wheeled into the wheeled in, thinking what's just happened there. I get wheeled into the into the dressing room. So I missed the cup final, and I was out for eleven months with that. Yeah. In, in fairness, but the club didn't have the infrastructure to to do everything right. So I kept having to go to other places to get bits of treatment. So I probably wouldn't have been nine months if that hadn't been the case. But mm. yeah, Portsmouth, good experience again. Good people, great fans, even though they were going through the through the the mixer and and Avram. Grant as a character. What was it like having those eleven months out and and trying to trying to get back into the game? That must be really difficult. Yeah, I think every every injury, every big injury like that, just takes a bit off you. Mm. And um, how old you then, Dan? Twenty seven, twenty seven. And it was yeah, I came back and I just knew I wasn't the same. I just knew I wasn't like my mind was doing it, but my body wasn't, and I'm getting frustrated. And I'm doing loads. You get in that in that sort of routine of being more in the gym than you are on on mm. the training ground, so. Your gym works on point, but you've lost your explosion or you've lost, you need a bit more time to recover, but your contract doesn't afford you that or, you know, mm -hmm. they're waiting for you to, to be out there. And um, I had an argument with Steve uh, Cottrell, the manager at the time, when I, when I came back, me and him had a, me and him had an argument in the, my first day back training, I'm buzzing, been out for 11 months and he's, we'd agreed with the physios for the first week that I'd just wear the, 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 the bib and be the yeah. floater. Yeah. So it's non-contact, but you play for both teams and just get a feel back again. So that's been agreed, no problem. Session in the morning, he said, oh, Webs, I'm going to put you on the reds or whatever it is. And I said, oh, I said, I thought it was going to be the floater. And he turned around and said, he went, oh, you know, he said, I've been, been out a year and you want to start running the show, dear. And I, I just went, I just went, okay. And I thought, don't say anything. And then he started talking to me and I just sort of looked away and just carried on doing what I was doing. Then he went out, slammed the, slammed the physio room door. Thought, God, here we go. So I followed him. I thought, not having that. So I got up and I walked and I followed him into the coach's room where he's obviously telling the story of what I've just done to the coaches. And I said, can I have a word? And he went, no. And I went, okay. And I just walked out. And then 
I wasn't involved in the session. So I've been 11 months out and then I'm not involved in the session. And I just thought, All right, okay. So next morning, he he, used to, he goes around shaking everybody's hand every morning, 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 walk around the training ground. And he came near me and I just walked walked away, walked off. And then he followed me around and said, oh, Webs, can I have a word, please? No. And, and I just, yeah, I wanted to say no. I just, I just, yeah. And I went up to his room and he just said, I've, you know, I've, I've had loads of knee injuries and, you know, I was, you know, I wanted to do right by you and I wasn't trying to do this. And I, and I just said, I said, listen, I said, that's your, your experience. I said, and I appreciate that. I said, but you know, I've been out 11 months. I was excited to have to come back training and that, that's your knees, your experiences. This is me. I've had to mentally get over this mm-hmm. and go back for training. And then you pull the rug on me like that. I said, you know, so we got off on the right foot after that, but he had the last, the last say, which was, you're not having a new contract, son. <laughs> and that was it at the end of the season. So I left and I was looking for another club again at that point. And then you went to Leeds. Mm. Any How did that go down with your family? Yeah. <sighs> you know what? It went down worse with the Leeds fans than it did with the family. <laughs> <laughs> it did, yeah. I, I remember. I, I must have gained about seven or 8,000 Twitter followers once it got announced straight away, my phone started blowing up. But then they were just, just, all giving, just giving me all sorts. <laughs> you mank this, you better. You, you, if you don't perform, you're this, you mank that. And I was Warnock's first signing. Warnock had brought me in. So they're like, you mank, you better. This, that, the other. Listen, we're watching you. We'll be this. And I was like, right, yeah, cool, whatever. So I got on with it. And again, nearly scored on my debut, which would have been better yeah and had 11 terrible games for Leeds I was rubbish <laughs> I was rubbish they must have thought I'd done it on purpose <laughs> but I, did, I didn't honestly I was trying my best and I scored one goal at the end on the last game of the season against Leicester and then did my knee on that day and it was just like really like you know that's where it that's where it was but I just in, in a weird way I'm grateful for all my injuries it taught me a lot mm-hmm. and you know in the transition out of the game I'd, I'd learned to deal with with hardship I'd learned to deal with things so when my transition out of the game I found it a lot easier and I think a lot of people who it, it was quite plain sailing do you know what I mean so yeah. the lessons were in there and in then the you pain. finished at Salford City yeah would you have done that if they weren't Salford City and they weren't owned by the class 92 and everything or was that important in that decision no I wouldn't I wouldn't it was very important mm-hmm. um I think when you when you're a player and you, you I was trying to save my CV mm-hmm. I played at Accrington before that Okay. That was that was the that was the for me. I was like Accrington because it was a milk advert when we were kids, wasn't there? Was He's like, if I grow up to play for Accrington Stanley, Stanley, if you don't drink your milk, you'll only be good enough to play for Accrington Stanley. <laughs> and then that was the joke growing up. So James Beatty took the job and asked me to come and play. I was like, really, Beats? Like Accrington? He's like, yeah. And then you had your ego still a little bit there, and you, oh, I want my CV to look like that. And no, so I went, yeah, all right. I come to preseason and enjoyed it. And people didn't say the things I thought they were going to say. I thought I was going to get loads of abuse. He's dropped down there, this and that. And everyone was like, good to see you back in the game, Webs. But then obviously off the back of that, um, I went and did pre-season at Walsall. And I thought League Two was tough, but not tough physically. It was just tough because the standard was not as good as I'd been used to. So I went to Walsall, did pre-season. Dean Smith passes the ball. Did did really well pre-season, but couldn't score. Just literally every time I shot, hit the post, hit the bar, keeper saved it. It was just one of them. So at the end of the preseason, Dean Smith says to me, he said, Webbs, he said, you've done brilliant. He said, but I can't justify to my board signing a striker that's not put the ball in the back yeah. of the net. And I went, get it. And by now I'm just frank with everyone. I was like, yeah, get it. I said, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Put boots in my car and I drove back to Manchester. I'm already starting to transition at this point. So 
BBC Radio Manchester had said to me, will you come and do the cold commentary on the curtain raiser for Salford City versus versus um, Class of 92? I said, yeah, no probs. I arrived. Um, first half, obviously, Class of 92 were getting battered in the game. Do you play in that, mate? I played you in that game, you? yeah. Didn't you? Did yeah. You get battered. You had... Um, that was... Um, AJ Bell. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. And you had Robbie Savage up front, didn't you? That's my And Michael Vaughan. Michael Vaughan. No surprising. <laughs> yeah. But he was snapping. <laughs> so second half, like, I've only gone down for a cup of tea at half time and the dressing room door opened. It was Gary and that. And he went, Webbs, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go and have a cup of tea. He went, come and play for us in the second half. So that's how I ended up playing for Salford. It wasn't really by design. I played in the second half and then in the showers afterwards, they were just like, would you come and play for us this season? I went, I don't know. Don't know. And then he said, well, sleep on it. And then probably about five or six the next morning, Gary was on the phone saying, come on, would you? Of course it was five or six. On, honestly. And I think I'm not having any breakfast. Like, I don't know. So he said, come down training tomorrow night. If you like it, then you can play. I said, fine. So I went down training the following night. I've got at the AJ Bell, I've got protein shake. I've got my water. I've got all my kit and all this kind of thing. And so certain lads are turning up from work in the, the steaming because yeah. they've been on, they've been entertaining clients all day and whatever. And, but I just thought I like it. It was a, such a nice way to transition back out the game. It was almost back to where you started. Mm-hmm. Um, it was real fans were right next to you. They can abuse you. You can have a bit of banter, whatever it may be. It was just, it was great. And we, and it was something that was moving forward rather than just going out and it just being a damp squib. So yeah. we've got two promotions. And when I called it a day, I thought, well, I've done it on my terms and mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's that's the point that you retired, and obviously we started this by talking about uh, what you're doing now. Mm. One thing we didn't talk about is when you decided to leave United, you did something that I imagine is quite rare, and that you mm. chose. You had a three year contract offered, yeah. right, when you were 21, and you yeah. said no, and you told us earlier that you'd always mm. said with your dad if you were 21, and you weren't a regular, yeah. you would go elsewhere. That's a really brave decision, I guess, to 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 think I'm going to leave what I know. Um, how do you feel about that looking back? And I guess, how did you feel about it at the time? I think looking back, I have no regret. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't, it doesn't mean to say that I think it was the right decision, but I have no regret because I made the right decision at the right time. Pretty much like you said, we'd agreed that at 21, if you're not playing week in, week out, you've got to go and have a career because otherwise you can sit here. There was, you know, 23, 24, 25, they'll be turning up and not playing and it's just not what I wanted to do. I, I, yeah, I just thought to myself, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing because Did you remember the conversation with the gaffer? I didn't have a conversation with Did him. Did you not? I just no, it was weird because he, he offered it to me and he said, Look, me and Jimmy pulled us in at the same time, so we're gonna give it you. And that's when Jimmy signed his and I turned mine down. And I just sort of said, Okay. And the conversation I had it with Mick Jones at right. the time. And Mick Jones and I said, Mick, I said, I'm I'm not gonna take the contracts, I'm gonna um Watford are prepared to pay the money because it was compensation. Um I said I just gotta go and have a career, wanna have a career and he was like... Did you speak to the gaffer at all after that? I didn't. No? I, did. I was too scared. Right. I didn't want to. I just, like, it was It was a really weird one because I didn't want to. I said bye to everybody and I couldn't knock on his door. Mm. I knocked on light, said bye to the coaches. The hardest part was saying bye, going to the laundry and saying bye to the laundry yeah. ladies because they've known you since you've been a kid and all that. And they were like, oh my God, you're going. And, and, and Carol and, you know, up yeah, and, yeah. like the, the fabric. It's hard saying bye to the fabric of it. But I always thought, I will always try and be a part of it. You know, I, I love the football club and I've been fortunate enough to have 11 years here. The, first, the next time I saw the gaffer was when I was at Sheffield United and United came to play Sheffield United and I was injured. So he called, he told one of the stewards, he said, oh, can you find Danny Webber for me? So 
and pulled, called me down to, to Neil's office. So Neil and the gaffer were in there talking and he pulled me in and we just had a good conversation. And, and he said, you've got Chelsea next week. He said, make sure you beat Chelsea. So I said, yeah, all right, I will. <laughs> so we get next week, I get a penalty against Chelsea and I missed the penalty. <laughs> <laughs> that was not how he, I was supposed he, to end. He went through my mind. <laughs> <laughs> And the boss went through my mind. I was thinking, I've just missed something. I've let him down again. Like, what's going on here? But no, it's, it was a decision I made for the for the right reasons at the right time. And if I was in that position, I probably would do the same thing again. Um, it, it wasn't an easy one. And I left with a heavy heart, but with a lot of friends and experience. Did, Did you ever get the 21,000? Sorry. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Just making sure in case yeah, anybody yeah. at home was listening wondering. <laughs> did you not listen? Yeah, did it until the 30. Yeah, no, but didn't whether you'd actually got it. Yeah, yeah It I was still it. on the paper. I got it. I think that went on the roulette machine as well. <laughs> a few <year> later. <laughs> do you think, no, no, so do you think, looking back on your career, the ups and the downs has took you into to being an agent or being a, a, a advisor? Obviously, you've got now vast, vast experience. Obviously, now you're just going to obviously relay that to the, the kids that you've got. I think it helps. Mm. I really do. I think it helps a lot, you know, because nothing's ever plain sailing. You know, people only see the the gloss and that's it, of, of any anybody's career. It doesn't matter whether it's whether it's Wayne Rooney, whether it's somebody down in League Two or National League, the 70, 70 80% behind it is hard work. And you people see the gloss, they see the winning, they see the smiles, they see the cars, they see the, mm. the gloss, you know. But the rest of it, you know, when you're juggling families and you don't want to leave your family and you've got to be away at Christmas or just in general and you're juggling family life as you grow up and that's the side that people don't see. Um, do, you, do, you know the, do you know the percentage of a kid coming through to make it into the Premier League? I don't know about the Premier League, but I think if, my, if I'm right, it's one in every hundred will make his debut or will become a professional, Yeah, will make his debut. But then that's not sustaining a career over about 50, 50 plus games. For a kid to come through, it's 0.012. There you yeah. go. That's the percentages to become a professional footballer and play in the Premier League. League. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and it's hard because there's thousands trying and, and then some. Yeah, and you can be in globally against people for that position. And that's the message I try and get across to the lads dead early. Mm-hmm. As if like, you know, and they go, oh, well, it's because of him or it's because of him. It's not because of somebody else because whatever you're doing, you you have the ability to impact. Mm. And that's what I try and get across. You know, when lads are going out oh, the manager, same as I thought, it was the manager, Terry Burton. It's an easy Wasn't. way out, isn't it? It's that yeah. easy. You know, mm. responsibility and, but no, it's, that's the side of it I enjoy. I've got a, I've got a lad, funnily enough, at Leeds that I, I took from Morecambe and I really enjoy working with him because he's got, he wasn't in the system up until 16. So he's got that, grit determination the fight to get where he needs to get um and he's he won't he doesn't want people to be to get in his way he's like okay well that's next and whilst he can be your friend he's still going that's where i need to get because it's not easy to come by so it's good danny been a pleasure thank you which i think is what we all thought it would be Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Little did you know, five years ago, you'd be spending most weekends with us. Hey, it's just even better. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anybody, Danny, before you go, that you would recommend to have on our podcast? Anybody you played with through the years? They don't necessarily have to have had a lot of appearances for United. Anybody that would make a good story? I do, yeah. And it's not just because I'm a friend, but Bojan. But he'd be one. His story's unbelievable. His his story from being a child, Mm -hmm. coming through the war, and 
you know, how he got here and his interaction with the boss. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Leave it as that. That's it then, Bojan. Thank you. Mm. Cheers, Danny. No, Cheers, no, Dan. thank you. Appreciate it. Danny Webber has given me hope that I can still make it. Why? You think was, you're going to be... Someone might need cool me at half time. Yeah, someone might need me at half time. Something could happen and all you'll look up and he'll see me sat in the borough and go, that's who I need. Let's get Sam on. Mm, maybe you should start co-commentating on uh, lower league games. That could be a possibility. Yeah. That feels like a long way into it. That feels like a long way That was a crazy story though, isn't yeah, it? It was incredible. What did they do in the second half? <laughs> The uh, the stories about uh, Jimmy Davis were also really touching, weren't they? It was really interesting. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. Jimmy emotional. was a lovely lad, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, what a lovely, lovely lad he was. So sad. So sad. So, so sad. He was an absolute wonderful, wonderful lad. He was. I can't even, like, we did obviously bring it up to Danny there, but I can't even imagine how you go and play football after that. Yeah. I, was, I just I just can't comprehend no. having that mental strength to mm. do that. I know I know people say life goes on and stuff like that, but no, do you know but what? It doesn't. Stops it stops for a while, it must it, do. It does. It must yeah. do. The emotional toll really, is really really enormous. Oh my god. Time, especially going through, you know, the youth career and stuff with him. You've experienced something yeah. really special together, haven't you? And then yeah. very, very difficult to um to listen to I've read stories about it before that Danny's spoken about but when you hear him speaking yeah. about it to you it's very difficult to hear and a lovely tribute by the club as well yeah to have the shirts yeah and Jimmy Davis is yeah because that's the thing I always remembered and I, I spoke to, to, to Danny about that before and because he was saying it's because at the time you think well, this is a nice gesture but actually the, the long term consequences of a gesture like that are actually people remember and for his family that would be massive it wasn't just one occasion and they put those shirts on how many years ago was that now nearly well it's not far off 20 years ago mm. and it's still something that people across the world mm. will remember mm-hmm. and, and what seems like a small gesture actually becomes massive yeah that's what this club are very good at though absolutely part of a family God aren't you when you're, when you're here but yeah, great podcast and um, I hope everybody enjoys it. Yeah, and I'm excited for the things that Danny's going to go on to do because mm-hmm. he's he's um, really enthusiastic about yes, the yeah. work that he's just started out doing. Autograph, really, was that what you Yeah, know? autograph, Could yeah, really switched say? on, really motivated, yeah. knows what he's doing. Right, don't adjust your headphones. I know this is probably going to sound slightly different, but what happened is, is we said goodbye and realised we hadn't read out any of your emails. So we just quickly jumped on Zoom to read out some emails and then you'll get our regular goodbye again afterwards. Um, so it might sound slightly different because we're in different places now on, on the internet. But uh, here we go. Um, Helen, you got an email? Yes, I do. Rob Francis says, stumbled across this as it was a featured pod on Apple Podcast with Marcus Rashford, which was excellent, but find myself going through past episodes, Alan Smith's episode, possibly one of the best episodes of any podcast I have listened to. Yes, hmm. Rob. Yes. I'll take that. Thank you. I, con- I concur. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Manny C says, hi, been listening to all the podcasts from start to finish. Just finished Gary Pallister episode. Really amazing stories to and so good to listen to. Was just wondering if there is a YouTube channel for the videos or would it require me to be signed up to MUTV? Thanks for the great listens. Can't wait for more. Well, Manny, I can tell you that you can see clips of the episodes on the club's official YouTube channel, the same as you can see clips on Facebook and uh, like Instagram and Twitter and stuff. But to watch the full length chats that we do, you need to get MUTV and they come out every single Friday and all of the ones that have been out are available on demand 24-7. So if you have it, you can sit and watch 
for hours and hours and hours. Alex Grant. Hi there. Big fan of the podcast, which has been a terrific source of entertainment during these, let's just say, less entertaining times. Would love to hear an episode with David De Gea sometime. As our longest serving player, it would be interesting to hear his thoughts, having worked with Sir Alex Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho and now Ollie. As well, the process and work that went into becoming a world-class goalkeeper. Would also love to know whether, as a keeper, he is ever given homework to prepare for the opposition strikers, maybe penalty clips, etc. Keep up the good work and stay safe. Thanks, Alex Grant. I would say that he definitely does get homework. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, we, I think that's one thing we can say without getting him on is that he will he will be given things to look at, won't he? Absolutely. Yeah. Tasker, you're a goalkeeper. Do you get homework doing that? Yeah, yeah. Ollie sends me all sorts of little bits to do, just in case Lee Grant ever gets injured. I think I'm next in line. All oh, right, okay. Cool, back to reality. Um, we can go back to our goodbye now. Um, thank you all so much for listening and, and being with us again today. Um, take care of yourselves. This is obviously an awkward time. Hopefully you're out, you're having a walk um, and you're sick I'm of us in your place. ears for the minute. So we'll join you for the next one. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. It's unitedpodcast at mayunited.co.uk. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can leave us reviews. Um, you can give us a star rating. I like those. Those are quite cool, aren't they? I've given us loads of those. Don't I have too. That's yeah. a bit awkward. Don't think it's awkward. There's not really that many. I don't mind. Yeah, it's fine. Close? Yeah. There's about 600 and every time I go on, I just press five star. Do you do that? No. I don't know where they are. Uh, so uh, that's it from us. Don't forget, if you want a personalised Twitter response from David May, all you've got to do is write on your hand. <laughs> He's trying to cut me out. Just write on your hand. I love the podcast. Tweet it to him. Here he tweet his favourites. Thanks and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Cut out us giving ourselves podcasts. Thanks. Thanks.